hello and welcome to episode number 419 of the Plain Talking UK podcast. I am Carlos and in this week's absolutely packed show, one airline carries its own ground handlers on board, one passenger takes a carry-on so as not to lose her luggage and loses her luggage, and we take a look at Farnborough International Air Show 2022. In the military, Slovakia's entire fleet of MiG-29s is gifted to Ukraine, and Bell unveils its nearly complete mock-up of the new 360 Invictus Next Generation helicopter. So joining me this week, he's back in the studio, and trust me, I am so happy about this. It is, of course, the person who knows exactly what he's doing, Matt Smith. Uh, uh, thank you, I think. <laughs> Did you have a bit of a rough time of it last week then, mate? Only the last <laughs> last 10 minutes of last week's show. Right, okay. Honestly, it was like... It, it was, was a like, bit earlier than that, mate. I, I, I had to do the edit, remember? Oh, it was like, it was like <laughs> Gremlins Part 4. Right, okay. Very good. Honestly. Um, well, I, I'm sorry for your loss. Uh, <laughs> I, I was, honestly, it, it was a, it was probably the quickest wrap-up and the quickest goodbye we've ever done in the history oh. of Peter UK. Oh, I mean, feel free to repeat that later. Uh, no, no, no. <laughs> How's the warm studio? Cool studio. Uh, it's not too bad, actually. It's, it's cooled down a bit, hasn't it? It's not quite as warm as expected. It's supposed to be really bad sort of towards the later part of the week, from what I understand. It's going to be pretty hot again, sort of Monday, Tuesday. Um, but, yeah, no, it's not too bad at the moment. Uh, it's uh, only 25 degrees in here currently. <laughs> and uh, Dirk's just noticed I've, have, I've got no cap on. Yes, I know, Dirk. I, what? I literally Hang on. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a bit warm in here, so I thought I'd go capless today. Does that, does that mean we've got to start again? <laughs> it's just to prove that I actually do have hair. Right, um, okay. And uh, also joining us this week through the realms of the interweb from his glorious studio over in sunny Buckinghamshire is, of course, the king of BA, Neville Barnes. And a lot of BA to talk about this week as well. Um, Has something happened, Nev? <laughs> Gosh, lots of, uh, lots of stuff's been going on all over the shop. In fact, just as we were about to come on air, uh, BA cancelled my flight back from... Just a lot to Heathrow on uh, Tuesday, so I had to make alternative arrangements. Uh, oh. But, oh you know, that's, I, I can't complain too much because it's one of the first cancellations I've had for a while. So, But uh, there we go. But, uh, no, lots of uh, flying last week around, where was I last week? Um, you Brussels. were everywhere. That's where it was last week, yes. Hmm. And uh, delays and general faffing about. But that's the norm for the moment. Did you have your baggage, though, Nev? Absolutely. I'm not checking in Excellent. a bag ever again unless <laughs> I really need to. But if I do, I've got the Apple Air tags to go oh, with it. Brilliant. Excellent. Well, it's good to have you back on again this week, Nev, uh, as always. And uh, and we've, we're missing, missing a member of the team this uh, week. Uh, but in obvious Armando style, as he does every time, and I'm sure he's going to have some glorious background behind him, he has sent us a little video as an apology to say uh, hello to everyone on the show this week so Armando over to you hey everybody here I am at flight safety international as some of you guys have picked up on the last couple weeks I'm here for a couple weeks I won't be on the show unfortunately but I'm getting a PIC type rating in the Hawker 800 actually it's the Hawker 850 XP but they're all kind of the same 
as you have heard from Pip, from Al, uh, all of our professional pilots in the community, every time that you go to a new airplane, there is a lot of training to be done. As you can see here, it's just a couple thousand pages of, of light reading. This alone, the checklist alone, can be used as a weapon in most American states. And it is pretty fire hose of information, uh, but organizations like Flight Safety and SimCom and CAE, which are the big training providers around the U.S., all have a method to their madness. They have a very tried and, and proven method to take anybody regardless of their previous experience and get them to the same baseline level of knowledge at each airplane uh, in order to operate in a safe manner for their particular type of operation. For me, I'm doing this as a part 91 owner uh, operator, so I don't have to worry about part 135 check, light, check rides or anything having to do with charters. For this particular airplane, I still have to do that for the Pilatus. But I will keep everyone informed and uh, try to do some excess baggage segments for our Patreon supporters or show supporters and maybe give you a little bit of the, the behind the scenes. Unfortunately, organizations like this have a lot of proprietary information, so I won't be able to film anything inside the simulators or even inside the classrooms, but that's kind of standard for the industry as it's incredibly competitive right now with all of the pilot training going on. But either way, my apologies that I can't be on the show. I'll keep you guys in the loop of how this is going over the next couple weeks and uh, stand by for some military stories at the end of the show. Thank you, Armando. Uh, uh, Tony S has asked a fabulous question, which is, uh, blimey, how many type racements does Armando now have? I mean, that is a good question, one we're definitely going to have to ask him next time he's uh, next time he joins us live. Cause, uh, I, I just laugh at the books that uh, that Armando had in his hand, and I just, I honestly do think to myself, the guy doesn't need books. I mean, you could you could throw Armando into any aircraft, and he'd. Fly, I mean, the guy is a the guy's a pilot. I mean, I, I, the only thing I would say, sort of, not against that, but um, I think he, you know, he's the first one to admit that every single aircraft has its own little idiosyncrasies. Now, don't get me wrong; if he was on a on an aircraft that he'd never flown before and somebody said oh, one I... of the pilots is not well, um, then I would absolutely be saying, Armando, it's your turn, go play. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's... Uh, well, we'll have to ask him, but as I say, I seem to recall oh, it's a pretty full-on... Uh, now, speaking of the chat room, I'm being told in my ears... John's back, by the way, everyone, in case yes, you Yes, he's back, to. yes. <laughs> uh, let's uh, say hello to everyone in the chat room this yeah. evening who's joined us for the show this evening. Let's have a quick run down the list. We have got in the family members team today... Uh, Richard Adams, hello to you. We've got Hobby Time, hello. Uh, Dirk S. Mazus Karim, we'll be seeing you very soon, Mazus. Uh, we have got Main Man Micah, wielding the blue spanner of doom, ready for all those glorious bots who'll come and visit us later, no doubt. Uh, we've also got the Airstig, hello to you, the Airstig. Masha, hello to you, Masha. Hope you're well. Hope the sun is shining where you are, like it is here in the UK. Uh, we have got Tony S. I'm scrolling down. Make sure Captain Ridiculous Wits, 
wouldn't be a show without Cat Ridiculous well, Wits quite. in the chat room, hey? And uh, we're going to say a big thanks to everyone who has joined us this evening. Don't forget, if you're listening to our glorious voices through the audio podcast, wherever you may download it, uh, don't forget, if you fancy seeing what me, Matt, Nev and Armando look like, just check out the YouTube feed. Search us on there, Plain Talking UK on YouTube. Or don't. And you'll find the, you'll find the <laughs> YouTube uh, links on there and you'll find our page and the link to the live show where you'll be able to join in in the conversation with our glorious chat room every week. And oh, John, John Clard has now joined us in the chat room. He's also wielding his blue spanner. Never heard of him. That's the, the, uh, <laughs> yes, the, blue, the blue spanner of death is for the hosts if we don't behave. That's fair. Yeah. So we have got, honestly, we have got so much stuff to get through today. And uh, it's safe to say that we've got uh, a competition launch, seething stuff to put, uh, play on the show. So much stuff. Honestly, there's tons of stuff to get through. So if everyone's ready to do some commercial news. Yes, uh, yes, yes. Yeah, Let's sure. go. Okay, yeah. Captain has turned on the seatbelt light. Please take your seats and fasten your seatbelts. Well, uh, just as I was mentioning before, there's some a bit of trouble at Heathrow, uh, and it says the headline says from uh, uh, the FT.com, BBC.com, uh, and also uh, Emirates.com. Uh, Heathrow tells airlines to stop selling summer flights. Naughty. Uh, of course, after we talked about the passenger limit that Heathrow is imposing to help ease the summer chaos, uh, Tuesday this week, Heathrow requested airlines to stop selling summer flights and to cancel certain flights inbound to the London hub. Now, Emirates, who currently fly six flights a day to and from Dubai, issued a statement regarding this decision. Uh, they say it's therefore highly regrettable that London Heathrow last evening gave us 36 hours to comply with capacity cuts, of a figure that appears to be plucked from thin air. Uh, their communications not only dictated the specific flights on which we could throw out paying passengers, but also threatening legal action for non-compliance. This is entirely unreasonable and unacceptable, and we reject these demands. Uh, at uh, London Heathrow Airport, our ground handling and catering run by Donata, part of the Emirates Group, interesting, are fully ready and capable of handling our flights. Uh, and it says, until further notice, Emirates plans to operate as scheduled to and from Heathrow. Oh, that's a... Uh, there's going to be some trouble here, isn't there? Um, especially um, if you can imagine people going from Heathrow to, I don't know, the Far East, Australia, something like that, where Dubai is a you know big connecting hub as well. Um, gosh, um, I think this has not been thought through properly, um, just to state the obvious. Um, there's, there's the problem that they have given themselves could have been avoided. Um, 
Even though it would take people longer to get back to operating out of Heathrow in terms of the ground handling staff and the people that that they'd laid off, um, they probably did know that this summer might have been a bit of a busy period. um, Mm. And there are uh, questions to be asked, I'm afraid. I think it's I think it's quite interesting, actually, that, as you say, um, so in, in Emirates case, for example, they're actually saying that our ground handling crew are ready and able to to deal with what what's coming i mean i mean that's that's what's been the problem isn't it uh, it is well and i mean not just baggage and and ground handling in general but i mean you know there that that's been a major factor as to why flights and stuff have been delayed yeah, it's the infrastructure, basically, and the, and the people av- available to operate it. And um, there was a story this week also uh, about um, Iceland Air actually sending their own teams to Schiphol Airport in Amsterdam to handle their own flights in terms of baggage and, and what have you. So there's lots of stuff going on here, and it, it's quite. I think it's quite significant that Donata is part of the Emirates group, and I think... Um, people need to just have a think about that just for mm, a minute before they start, absolutely. start making well, demands and they do should remember that um although there are direct flights obviously but often those flights are used as connecting flights and emirates are a customer of heathrow and i wonder how much it costs to land an a380 at heathrow in terms of landing fees it's, it's quite a lot I would imagine. Uh, a significant a amount of money i think yeah absolutely, mm. absolutely. is, so, is there go. a bit of a um sort of were you sort of mentioning there no never about sort of issues with um with sort of like heathrow and stuff i mean presumably they aren't going to be the only um airline that are are, are having these problems are they are they the only people perhaps with their own sort of ground handling teams ready no to i mean rock? there's donata is a very large organization you know worldwide that, that deals with ground handling stuff and you'll see their trucks and vans going uh, in and out of the taxiways and on and off the stands all, all the time at airports um but um yeah uh, i mean british airways have been told it as well and this is why my um flight from uh, Dusseldorf back to Heathrow has just been cancelled um, so I'm going to go back to City Airport instead um, but yeah there, there's um, it's all a bit short notice as well that's the problem and that wasn't happening before because uh, certainly with British Airways they were giving about a month's notice right but this is a different situation now where the air, the he, the airport themselves are saying to airlines stop selling tickets for this period because we will not be able to handle uh, the inbound or the outbound aircraft so, I mean, this is a question, I don't, and this may not be one that you can answer, Never, and, and perhaps uh, uh, John might be able to look this up for me. But, I mean, how many people are actually required to get an aircraft, like, boarded and away? And obviously, I, and I'm not including cabin crew, because obviously they're, they're on board and throughout, and you've got your two pilots, sometimes three, depending on what's going on there. But, you mean the 380? Uh, well, uh, or anything. What, what, whatever. I mean, mm. anything. Let, let, let's stick. Let's let's be realistic. Let's say the triple seven, for example, which is, mm. and I'm using Emirates as an example here. I mean, how many people on the ground are physically needed to make that aircraft go? Well, I mean, you've probably got what two or three. It, it's um, a lot. You've got people uh, to do the fueling of the aircraft, the dispatchers, mm. uh, the ground handlers, the baggage handlers, the catering, uh, the catering. Um, for both sectors, of course, the, perhaps the inbound and the outbound sector as well. Um, and then we've got all the operations team uh, at Heathrow and in Dubai as well, um, actually mm. tracking the progress of this aircraft and making sure it's serviceable. So you've got maintenance people as well. Um, it's a lot it, you know, to, get, to, get, to get an aircraft into the air 
Um, it's, uh, it's not. So uh, uh, John has actually just looked it up for us. He's saying, so for, a, for an A380, as an example, you're looking at just over 100 people, essentially, to, to get for both sides. So, that, is that, so it's 100 people both sides, as in like what, 100 people in Heathrow and 100 people in Dubai required to make that flight um, work, basically. I mean, that's a bit... I mean, obviously... I mean, obviously, they're they're you know they they would normally be shared, obviously, between those. So those hundred people would also then deal with an X flight, and so on and so forth. But I mean, that's a lot of people. When you think, I mean, what is there sort of four hundred and something or other on an A three eighty? Yeah, about four hundred and fifty, depending on the configuration, yeah. and, up and to six hundred potentially. So yeah, so, yeah. Um, so yeah, it's it's yeah. an expensive business. This flying lark, isn't it? Oh yes, and of course you've <laughs> then got you know, let alone the, the current the fuel costs and all the rest of it. So you've you've got a whole load of. Mm additional costs that probably weren't factored in 12 months ago so uh, yeah it's so you, uh, it's going to go on for a while i'm afraid so you mentioned um obviously your flight's now been cancelled nev and you you're sort of trying to get something lined up to well i've just i've just five minutes before the show start they, they gave me the option of rebooking back into london city airport from Dusseldorf, mm. but then i've got to get the train uh, back from city airport all the way Ooh. to terminal five at heathrow yeah. where my car will be um i'm actually considering perhaps just changing the first sector so i might actually start from london city airport instead um, which just means an even earlier start on monday morning right okay i mean not possibly sunday night depending on well yes possibly sunday night but i mean i suppose that means at least the car's in the right place when you get back which there is that yeah Um, but uh, i might of course trying to get the train back of course on tuesday when it will be 40 degrees centigrade Mm. apparently when's the Um, when's the strike And there's the strike as well, isn't there? That's Ooh, not this- Dirk's got some info for you in the chat room there. Oh, oh right. Okay. Hello. Well, let's have a look. Um, so, uh, serious cues at Dusseldorf, he says. Well, don't they know that I'm coming through? <laughs> Seriously. Good point. <laughs> Good point. And you were, you were in seat 1A at one point, weren't you? Are you still in seat 1A? I, is there any other seat? Well, no, of course. I, of course. I, I expect nothing less. But they uh, are. There we go. Well, uh, as I say, I don't. I, I've got this really bad. I've got this really bad feeling that that we're we're not um, done with this, and we will give us more content for next week. week. You know what's, yeah. what's happened to Nev this week? Okay, yeah. right. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's I'm a whole spin off of the show. I know, yeah. I'm, I'm pleased you're doing all this flying, Nev. But uh, <laughs> well, I'm doing it just for the show. Not very not good. Very good. Help. <laughs> <laughs> ah. And moving on to the next story, that'll be the the plane talking, Nev podcast anyway this is coming to us from uh, the point sky and simple flying flight global and airways mag as well and uh, introducing virgin atlantic's airbus a330 neo now having flown on a transatlantic flight on a virgin atlantic a330 and it's it was the most uncomfortable and noisiest flight i've ever been on in my entire life at virgin atlantic unveiled their latest interiors for their soon to be delivered a330-900 aircraft the arrival of the 330 neos will take an average age of virgin's fleet to just seven years old as well as reducing the fleet carbon emissions by 11 percent uh, the trent 7000 powered jets were ordered at the paris 2019 air show and the company is suggesting that we'll receive up to 16 of the type with delivery commencing from september this year 
Revenue operations will start from October and the aircraft will initially be used on the London to Boston route. So if any of our US listeners are listening and fancy a trip over to uh, the UK, you can fly on this glorious new suite, which I will say does look very comfortable, but that is obviously not economy class. Um, So let's hope they um, sort the economy seating out as well. So the Retreat Suite 2 has a six foot seven fully lie flat bed. Uh, It also has an ottoman that doubles as a second seat. This was the uh, previous picture what uh, Matt's got on there, meaning up to four people can dine together, which is quite nice. Uh, You can benefit from a 27-inch screen. That's not too shabby either. Uh, Wireless charging, Bluetooth connectivity for personal headsets, and PED controls features with privacy doors. Now, in the upper class, um, you have forward-facing seats, privacy doors, a 17.3-inch screen, which is quite not too bad either, really. Uh, passenger-controlled mood lighting, which is quite an interesting idea. Uh, wireless charging again with Bluetooth connectivity for personal headsets and PED control features. So three types of economy. The only difference is being pitch in premium, and there's wireless charging there as well. So premium economy. Uh, 38-inch pitch in premium economy with a 13.3-inch screen, wireless charging again with Bluetooth connectivity for headsets and PED control features. Uh, Economy Delight, they're calling, uh, 34-inch pitch uh, with a 13.3-inch screen again. Uh, No wireless charging this time, but you've got AC and USB charging Uh, port with Bluetooth connectivity for personal headsets and PED control features. And Economy Delight. You've got 31 inches of pitch, a 13.3 screen, and uh, AC and USB charging with Bluetooth connectivity again. Oh, always with Bluetooth. Got a lot of Bluetooth uh, for headsets and PED controllers. And the loft for upper class and retreat suite passengers uh, will have a social area with room for up to eight passengers. There will also also be a self-service fridge. Oh, blimey. And four bar stool uh, height seats to sit down as well. Uh, I must say, one thing I will say about Virgin is that I love the colour of their lighted interiors. That that kind of purple violet or sort of violet colour is is very nice indeed. But I love the idea of the bar area. What do you think, Nev, for a for a glass of Pinot while you're on yeah, the flight. Yeah, I like the sound of that very much. In fact, the whole thing looks rather tasty, doesn't it? They've done a nice job of this. And, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to uh, trying that out one of these days. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see how much quieter this is as well, because the original 330s were blooming loud. Yeah, they were, yes. Really loud. So, um, yeah, be good to see this and try it out. Perhaps... Um, might try that so when we fly across and see what the prices are like with Virgin nearer the time when we go over to the States next year. See what they're charging. So, do we prefer the this upper class to the fishbone? So it's like it's the seats are like that, um, Matt, kind of like um like a like a fishbone. Oh, sorry. It's like a it's like a triangle shape. Imagine uh, a triangle shape, like a fishbone kind of shape. Seats, everything's at an angle. Yeah, on the fuselage. Yeah, 
Yeah. It's it's a new it's, it's definitely a new approach. It it looks good. Um it'll just be interesting to see even the basic economy just to see what that um what that is like. But I think nowadays the the, the difference in price sometimes between premium economy and a standard economy seat for the sake of a 100 quid or 150 quid it's sometimes nicer to have that little bit extra luxury yeah so matt you've got the next story and uh this is awesome and this is about, about an airline that's having to carry its own baggage handlers yes indeed so it's a fairly short story this main as i say we've sort of covered it in, in detail really in uh in our first <laughs> first story sorry um it's uh to do with iceland air and they're carrying their own baggage handlers on amsterdam flights um, so with airports around Europe in chaos over staff shortages and strikes, uh, the um, airlines are desperate to avoid delays <laughs> and disruption. Um, according to Iceland's national news agency, Riksutvarpio, uh, or RUV as I will refer for it, for yeah, RUV, which I'll do. <laughs> John's just saying I can just say RUV. Maybe I should have done that. Anyway, Iceland, ha- Iceland Air have been sending two baggage handlers as part of the flight crew on all Amsterdam-bound services since last weekend. Uh, Iceland Air's information officer told RUV the idea worked well and that it's continuing all this week, after which time the uh, situation will be reassessed. Now, we covered this in in sort of quite quite reasonable detail in the previous story um i mean it's it's certainly a, an innovative way of solving the problem i mean do we sort of expect other ca- other carriers to perhaps sort of consider doing the same nev well it's obviously a bit desperate isn't it i just wonder what the unions would have to say about this as a starting point um but um no needs must clearly so um they are drafting in their own staff to do it. I, I don't know how that works in terms of airside passes and authorization and goodness knows what else. So, um, yeah, there's, well, uh, again, th- there's some measures being put in here for exceptional cir- circumstances, clearly. Yeah. So I think that, uh, that they'll do whatever they need to do to try and solve this problem, because certainly Amsterdam a few weeks ago was an absolute disaster, I must say. So I mean, is, is, I mean, is it cost-effective doing this way? I mean... You're losing out you, on pa- paying passengers, aren't you? Well, yeah, I mean, and you're looking at two crew for every single um, flight, essentially. I mean, do they have enough ground crew for a start to be able to... To put something like that, I mean, they've well, obviously I, I, thought it through in terms of that. But I, I think the suggestion of any kind of value for money or economy has probably gone out the window yeah, <laughs> some time true. ago. Uh, they're just having to, to deal with this in order to try and get the, the backlog dealt with, and also to try and keep mm. you know uh, unblock the uh, the log jam, shall we say? So uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, Captain Cruz is suggesting uh, why not give discount to passengers who are self offloading <laughs> their baggage. Uh, Cap- Captain Ridiculous Witch says, "I like that that Captain Cruz. I'll get on. I'll get my knees dirty for a discount. That doesn't sound right. Family show, <laughs> mm, family show, ladies and gentlemen, family show. Uh, I mean, it's, one- it's not bad, bad idea actually. You know, discount <sighs> if you unload your own 
I mean, I, I mean, we're opening a whole can of worms in terms of security there. I mean, surely. Um, but a Captain Cruiser can already see Ryanair making you pay to be allowed to unload the baggage yourself. A good point, Dirk. Well made. Yeah. Um, now, how's about this? <laughs> and uh, Matt's just having a little bit of a, a sorry, cough session sorry. there. He's I'm back. nearly He's better. Back. I'm Don't nearly panic. better. Sorry. He's nearly better. Yeah. yeah. We'll, uh, anyway. Uh, so, have a sip of his wine. Yes, indeed. I'll have a sip of my wine. It'll be fine. Uh, now, how about this for uh, an innovative uh solution here uh so swissport who are not known for their um we'll gloss over that and move on anyway cargo handler swissport is testing an unmanned automated guide vehicle uh agv at its new cargo center at frankfurt airport to reduce manual handling uh the uh low o uh the low od uh, which is uh, uh, Industries AGV uses lasers to avoid collisions. It use it measures ten feet and has a load capacity of six thousand eight hundred kilo- uh, k- uh, kilograms. It can transport a variety of unit load devices, including mm. fifteen foot containers. Uh, Swissport said that the AGV reduces the need for manual handling and frees up staff for more complex and value-creating tasks. Short-term testing began in November of 2021, so long before all this started, really. Uh, And the project has now moved into daily integration and long-term testing. Now, uh, I'll give you a very brief example um, of uh, a problem that we had. So the company that many of you may know that I work for a company called Naked Wines now. And uh, we did have... um, we uh, yes yeah, sorry yes if I, yeah, absolutely uh, if, if you're in the states no good to you whatsoever but anyway we'll gloss over that uh so the company that i work for basically they still drink um, wine do they right yes okay uh, we had a bit of a problem uh now many of you in the uk will remember that there was a certain euro final i think that that, that we made uh into in terms of the football and now the unexpected knock-on effect of of that particular i can't remember whether it was the final or whether it was i think it was the final uh, uh the the knock-on effect of that is nobody turned up for work the day after the final and when I say nobody, it's like so you know, it's just like something like nearly five thousand cases that leave our warehouse every single day. Um, and on this particular occasion, because nobody turned up for work, there were five thousand cases that failed essentially to get onto the yodel lorries to leave our warehouse. And off the back of that, our company decided that they were going to sort of invest very heavily in automation. And I have to say that since they've done that, we've had a few. We had a sort of about three or four months of what I'd like to call teething issues but since that that automation went in everything went okay um and i do you know i can see this i don't know how quite you would make it work in an an airport because i mean let's be honest an airport is an extremely complicated uh place um but uh a complicated place but what what's the I mean, what are your thoughts? I mean, a part, I suppose part of you is worrying about the fact that obviously people are going to be losing their jobs and, mm. and things like that. But at the end of the day, if there is a problem like this where, you know, flights, people aren't able to go on the holidays and the flights and stuff that they want to because of issues uh, like, you know, like this. I mean, is, is this the future? I mean, what, Nev, I'll, I'll ask that question to you directly. Automation in many things has seen some big advantages. 
Um, and I think it's a question of working out the most efficient way of doing some of this stuff. Um, but that, you know, does have the potential of costing jobs, clearly. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Uh, uh, with but the but is it if they can't fill those jobs at the moment? Well, in the first that's place? a very that's a very good point, and of course we are assuming that we're going to get back to some sort of normality at some point. I don't know when that's going to be, by the way. Mm. <laughs> so, um, yeah, uh, it's an interesting concept. But then you think about um, well, the, the the pushback tugs, for example, for aircraft. Certainly, it's uh, Heathrow T five, and I think it's at Frankfurt for Lufthansa. Uh, they've they've got the you still need an operator for it, um, yeah. but perhaps just one person involved rather than two. Uh, when you've got a proper pushback tug, I don't know. I think we'll, we'll have to see, but I, I think it's got mm. the potential for um, definitely some improvements. Um, and uh, well, we'll have to wait to see perhaps next year when things do start to get back to normal um, about uh, how mm. they get on with staffing levels and things like that. I mean, I mean, can you see them like even loading the aircraft? Do you think, or will there still need to be a human involved you've, in that? You've got to have also. human intervention mm. there, haven't you, um, to to load these ULDs on onto the aircraft in the first place? But um, yeah, it's the, the, a certain level of automation would help, but you can't really replace people. I don't think. I mean, I, I guess if if it was ready now. Um, there pro- probably would be not much resistance in terms of unions and things like that because, as you say, right now they're struggling to actually fill the positions. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, that trying to we were hearing from uh, one of our chums that works at Heathrow, weren't we? That, that how long it's taking to get airside passes at the moment. Mm. Um, and certainly when I got one back in two thousand and eight, I think it was when I was doing some work at T five, mm. um, and it took me I think about two weeks with all the background checks and everything. And now it's taking people yeah. four to five months in some cases. So that's a problem uh, straight away. Stu Thomas is saying that automation is the future. He's probably right there. Um, but, uh, yeah, there we go. Uh, Neb, I think you're in charge next. Yes. And, um, well, t- talking of uh, ongoing uh, issues and, and things mm-hmm. like that, um, and pe- people are trying to find ways to improve the situations for for flying and also for the employees that work as well uh, alaska airlines is celebrating its 90th anniversary by giving its employees 90,000 miles each to travel the globe uh, alaska said that uh, the 90,000 miles would not expire and that employees can use it beyond the alaska network with its one world partner airlines including qantas british airways and qatar um, so that's that's quite a lot of mileage if you, if you think about it. Um, and uh, I think we'll just give you some ideas of, of how much mileage it is in, in terms of um, how much it would cost you. Um, for example, on British Airways economy, um, round trips from um, some of the major airports around about 32,500 miles a oh, one way sorry beg your pardon uh, premium economy is 42,500 business is 60,000 and first is 70,000 so that's actually quite a lot um, mm. if you think about it um, and uh, the miles can also be used to upgrade existing tickets or on host hotel stays as well so that could be quite useful now of course if those uh, employees then uh, get into the situation where their flights cancelled or delayed or they lose luggage and things like that then it may not be quite as uh, quite as valuable possibly but um i think that 
The other thing to uh, think about here is perhaps some of the tax implications, because uh, apparently gifts of air miles or airline miles valued over $600 are generally thought to be taxable. But where the company and or the employees stand on this, we're not entirely sure. But just to give you an example, the value to the average, value to the average customer is about one and a half to 1.7 US cents uh, to the mile. And that's that makes 90,000 miles worth up to around about $1,530. So um, there's lots of things to think about here. But at, at least it's some... Um, it's a good sign that the airline is willing to do something for its employees. Um, and I think that, well, I think people are just trying to do anything to, to have employee retention at the moment. That's the main thing. Um, so uh, an interesting um, angle and an, initial, um, uh, an interesting initiative as well, I think. I mean, do, do you think this will bring a bit of loyalty, perhaps, as well to to these people? I mean, you know, sort of people are prone to sort of disappearing uh, due to, um, you know, sort of maybe a better offer, a better offer from a different airline, for example. Um, I mean, do you think do you think this might well, bring a bit of loyalty? It it might do, but some people, you know, even through with 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 all the training they've gone through, some some of them just leave the business altogether and they go and do something else. Um, so th this might have some effect on retaining some of them, I would think. Hmm. But it's a big carrot, isn't it? It is. It's definitely a big carrot. I'll give you that. <laughs> I think I think Nev will probably um, he'll have so many points by the end of this year that um, BA will have to give him his own airline. <laughs> <laughs> well, wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> I, I don't think I'm really qualified to do any of that. <laughs> anyway, next story is um, coming to us from aerotime.aero and airliners.com. And uh, this week, I was very lucky indeed to uh, be or have part of the job that I do. My day uh, day job was going to the Farnborough Air Show. Uh, this is before the actual air show begins next week. So I was privy to all the setup and everything that was going on. Uh, I've got some pictures actually, which might pop up in a bit, but this story is all about the Farnborough Air Show 2022 and Boeing has announced it will demonstrate its 737 MAX 10 and 777X aircraft in a flying display at Farnborough Air Show 2022 this year in the UK. The air show, which will take place between the 18th of July and the 22nd of July will mark the 737 MAX 10's international debut at the largest variant of the 737 MAX family. The MAX 10 will demonstrate aerial manoeuvres. The 777X will join the 737 MAX 10 in the daily flight, uh, flying and static display. And the Farnborough Air Show will be the fourth international venue to feature the 777X. Both the 777X and the 737 MAX 10 aircraft uh, uh, will uh, have flown to the show on a blend of sustainable aviation fuel uh, practice for the flying displays has been taking place today my word that was loud uh, the uh, airbus have already landed their a350-900 innovation demonstrator in farnborough however it's since flown back to toulouse embraer have also brought their e190 e2 and e195 e2 in the tech shark and tech lion liveries i saw those they were very good uh, they both departed brazil and landed in farnborough via cape verde now i have to say we're not um obviously thus guys we're not uh, farnborough this year but uh, it was very interesting indeed to see what goes in 
behind the scenes to set up for the Farnborough um, trade show and the uh, air show itself. Um, like I said, I was lucky to, to uh, get up close and personal with the 737 uh, Max 10 as well. It's nice to see that up close. And uh, it was also nice to see a lot of the trade stands being built. And I'll have to tell you guys and girls, if you've not been to the Farnborough uh, air show before, uh, literally nearly all the trade stands, the uh, display stands and stuff, they are literally built from scratch. Literally built from scratch. But... Um, what goes into building a stand? Oh, building. <laughs> Sorry, John is. So I, I was there my, myself. I was putting, uh, taking a display stand there to drop off uh, for uh, one of our clients that we do exhibition stands for, a large telecommunications company here in the UK. So I was dropping off a stand there, and um, it is a regimental scene. It has to be said, there is a one-way system in operation on site. The security is off the charts. I was uh, checked twice entering. All the drivers all the drivers were checked twice going into the site. And you are literally allowed airside, so you do have to actually drive on the taxiways and stuff to go through to the exhibition halls and stuff, which is quite uh, novel, I will say. Uh, to drive along um, the taxiways in a truck, especially when I'm uh, uh, being myself, um, trying to concentrate on the road and what's to my left, such as a 777X or the uh, 737 MAX 10. It is blinking hard to concentrate on what you're supposed to be doing. And uh, in my, well, well, John, uh, John was just saying, I hope the boss is not listening. Well, my boss was obviously quite excited. The fact that uh, this job was for me to do. He, he, he did say that he didn't think that I would turn down the opportunity to go to Farnborough huh. uh, to do this. I job. mean, you know but how to get there. You've been there before. It's yeah. Well, funnily enough, the ex- ex- the exhibition stand that, that, uh, that I took down is going in place literally round the corner from the media center where we, we were um, a few years back, which is quite nice to see that that there as well but um yeah it is a massive setup everything a lot of the stuff is literally built by wood hand you know hand built by with wood nails screws painted on site these stands are some of the stands are absolutely amazing and um i was literally privy to seeing all the pallet loads of beer and wine and sparkling water that were being taken around to the various um like the actual uh hospitality stands such as Boeing and Airbus who've got quite a big stand there this year again as well but uh, it was lovely to see that very interesting indeed to uh, to be back there again at Farnborough um, the lineup for this year I will say I have um, seen the lineup for this year's show it's it's okay I wouldn't say it's uh, the best lineup I've seen uh, in previous years but um, unfortunately as like some years quite a few of the, the aircraft that people will probably want to see um they won't be there on the public day which is friday next friday but um yeah perhaps we might go again in another couple of years guys when uh, when it's back on again and see uh, see what's going on there hmm. anyway talking about the max 10 <clears throat> it was lovely to see that um now because i haven't seen that before in the flesh it was lovely to see that and i have to say it's um it's it's, it's it's definitely a big 737. You know, we're, we're talking, this is getting obviously towards a similar size to the um, to the 75, um, I have to say. But um, 
I, I don't know whether you could see the pictures that I took, just how low those engine nacelles are to the mm. ground when that's sitting on the ground. If you look at where the bottom of the engine nacelle is to the um, to the you know, the tarmac below, there is not a lot of space there between the engine and the ground. I will say, on the no. on the uh, on the seven three seven. But um, I mean, to be fair, it's probably a lot. Uh, there's probably bigger room than you think if you're right up close and personal to it. Yeah, actually, I'll tell you what, as well, Matt, it was good to see the 777X with those folding wingtips. It was good to see right. those um, there. Although I was a bit worried when I saw there was a couple of guys on a on a scissor lift that seemed to be spending a lot of time working on the flaps, on the flap area of that 777. Oh. <laughs> Just saying. What do you think, Nev, of the old uh, the Max 10 7.3? Oh, yeah, it's impressive, that that's for sure. Um, but... Um, more thinking about the Farm Brewer show itself and, and what it used to be. I mean, clearly it's a trade show. Oh yes, primarily now. Whereas I mean, it was always previously, a trade show, it was always a, it always was a trade show. But I think there was more emphasis with the public days, yeah. and certainly when we last went, uh, all the good hardware had flown out um, before the public mm. days had started. Really, so mm. that was a big shame, I think. Um, but I um, remember we got really lucky, didn't we? Because. We got there, was it, uh, I'm trying to think, was it the 200, no, what was it? The little Airbus thing that... Um, oh, the A220. Yeah, the A220, because yeah. that was there on the Friday, and, and you guys had been quite lucky, you got you got there early, didn't you? You'd gone the day before yes, me, and, and, and actually managed to get, you know, a, you know, a, a tour around this, this incredible aircraft that has been so popular with um you know a lot of um a lot of airlines and stuff and i mean of course uh, after you guys have been on it of course like every week there was like new stories of pe- people taking that as their new aircraft and things like that um and you guys only because you managed to get there on the friday that was it the friday or the thursday i think it was the thursday wasn't it you managed to get in and and gone around Thursday afternoon or whatever, and then it literally flew out that night and it was gone by the time the rest of us got here yeah it was yeah mm. yeah so, Matt, you've got the next story, and uh, Airbus have, uh, well, they've, they've hit a milestone figure. So they have. Uh, it's uh, The headline is Airbus helicopters deliver 7,000th uh, Ukerel uh, and Ekrul. Uh, sorry, just been told <laughs> off. Uh, so this is AIN Online um, and also Airbus as well. Uh, Airbus Helicopters has delivered its 7,000th aircraft from from the Ekerul family uh, of single-engine models, which includes the H125A Star and the uh, <coughs> the H130, the milestone helicopter, and H. A H125 assembled in Macron in France, uh, Ma- sorry, Marjan in France, uh, was handled uh, uh, was handed over to Blue. Uh, Blue Blue Helicopters, a French company that specialises in high altitude sling work. The Ecrule is, is is currently operated by 2014 customers in 124 countries in both civil and military versions, and has exceeded the 30, 37 million flight hours. It holds several altitude records, including on the 14th of May 2005, when uh, the Didier Dessel landed at H uh, landed an H125 on the summit of Mount Everest. The types have been flying since 1974. That's uh, huge. Uh, additional information that John has very kindly sh- shared. Uh, Ecrel is uh, French for squirrel. 
There you go. I like a bit of squirrel. <laughs> well, quite, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, John's speaking. He's speaking. Yes. Uh, it's, uh, I mean, yeah. trying to say the word, yeah, that. Yeah, indeed. Uh, on that point, the Defence uh, Helicopter Training Division of the UK Armed Forces used to use the Ikril helicopter as a training aircraft. Their designation of the aircraft was the Squirrel HT-1. <laughs> I quite like that. Uh, yes, uh, the Ikril family uh, came about after it was decided that a civilian version of the famous uh, word I'm not even going to try and pronounce um, as, oh, as aer- aerospatial Aerospatial, that's it, yes. Uh, Alute uh, 2 helicopter uh, was a good idea. The helicopter was originally produced uh, by Aerospatial Manufacturer um, and they merged with the German group Dasser Helicopter Division uh, who themselves have been in a merger with, oh my goodness, uh, Daimler. Does John not like you? I don't think, but no, we've clearly clearly fallen out and I don't know about it. (laughs) <laughs> That's clearly what's happened there. Uh, but uh, anyway, I mean, it, it's a great helicopter here, as I say, one that's also been used uh, uh, by, um, you know, uh, by the UK as well. It's been a very po- popular helicopter. I mean, uh, s- since 1974, this thing has been in the air. I've got some pictures, actually. Let me just see if I can uh, grab those while uh, I'm trying to uh, make that. Uh, uh, my sincere apologies for my cough. They, way, um, guys. It's, uh, funnily enough, they use they use these quite a bit round um round here for the power line inspection oh right helicopters okay. yeah yeah there's what, um, they a few of these low and are they su- I, I guess they must be su- you know super controllable then is that is it you know? they have they have quite a good uh, i think it's something to do with the, the field of vision you've got in the, in the in the helicopter itself you've got quite a few places to look out of and they use them they they go low and slow along the power lines they check the power lines here in, in the uk I forget which companies use them now here. I did um, on top of my head now. Um, it's not yeah. UK Power Networks. It's one of the big companies who uses those uh, for the survey stuff. But yeah, they they are they are a popular mm. helicopter. Yeah, indeed. Uh, actually, John's added some extra information. There aren't many aircraft helicopters or otherwise that have had more than 7,000 units made. And the mm. ones that have had over 7,000 produced are still in production. Uh, that still in production are even less. Uh, so uh, Lamut uh, Atlas, um, most produced hang glider, 8,000 plus built. Uh, the Cessna 206, 8,509 plus built uh, the a320 family obviously it's an airline uh, an aircraft we're very very familiar with there's 10,359 built so far uh, that's <laughs> changing all the time uh, the 737 family uh, i think most of these have been owned by ryanair at some point uh, the <laughs> 11,022 plus have been built the beechcraft bonanza 17,000 that's a big number isn't it uh, and the mi8 and the mi17 the most produced helicopter 17,000 plus built the Cessna 182 23,237 plus uh, the Piper PA 28 that we're also very familiar with 32,778 wow. been built and then of course the little Cessna 172 
But I think you've had a little fly off, haven't you, Carlos? Is it? I've had a, I've had a few hours in the one seven two. Yeah, that's the four seater version. That's the four seater version. Yeah. yeah. Is, this, is it the one fifty, the normal one? The one fifty is a two seater trainer. No, that's yeah. not in production anymore. I'm being told. But anyway, the Cessna one seven two, forty four thousand plus. Actually, it's quite built. interesting. The the I I would have I thought the Robinson was quite a popular. And the R forty four, the most um, uh, produced reciprocating engine helicopter, only six thousand three hundred and fifty of those R forty fours produced. Now, I'd, yeah. I've never been a huge fan of the R44s because we, we yeah. see a lot of those flying around here because they're based over at uh, Beckles up at Ella, right? Uh, with the heli put the the helicopters mm-hmm. flight school there. I just always think the R44s. If you ever seen one of these up close. I just feel like the R44s look like if the wind changed direction quickly, <laughs> they would they would disintegrate. They're, they do look like they do really. I'm sure they're not, but they do look really flimsy. Fl- oh, just yeah, flimsy know, is not I the know, word for it. I know it. what you mean. Yeah, absolutely. I, I I I mean, if you go to the heliport, the guys pull these out of the hangar using like a piece of twine. They're they they weigh mm. about three ounces. These helicopters, so you know, indeed. Crazy. But uh, Uh, Nev, you've got the uh, next story. (laughs) I quite like this, Nev. I I suspect he's had a lot of practice at this. This goes very well with uh, Nev's passenger experience yeah but a stop press news i've just rebooked my flight oh uh, back to london city and ba have said thank you very much we're flying you back from doncaster sheffield airport to london city (laughs) where the airline doesn't actually operate from what so we'll just deal with that Uh, later on uh so i think i'm I'm sorry uh, what <laughs> BA's IT does leave a bit to be desired sometimes. But so hang on, I thought you were going to Dusseldorf, or have uh, I lost the plot? Uh, I am, yes. Uh, but right. me on to BA return that. flight. Yes, they put me on a return <laughs> flight on, on a sector that they don't actually operate. Uh, so brilliant. Yeah. Okay. So that's that went well then. Yeah, never mind. <laughs> uh, but uh, talking of being delayed and being mucked about, well, why not he- head off to travelofpath.com? It's that there's it's the information they've given here. I I just didn't know that what, what I could do if my flight was delayed. I'm so pleased uh, that we've got excellent information here. Uh, number one, you could hit up the lounge. Well, standard fare for me. Um, lounge passes, credit cards, buddy apps for lounges, uh, airline status, of course. And you can do uh, pay-to-use lounges as well uh, in a lot of places. Number two, catch up on your podcasts. Well, there's only one that you'd want to do that with, and that's ours, clearly. Quite, absolutely. Um, chill out, it says, as the number three suggestion. Well, I don't know how you do that when you're so delayed and probably a bit stressed, stressed. Well, I would imagine. <laughs> uh, you can research your trip. Uh, lonely Planet books in WH Smiths are, are quite good for this. Uh, you can do some work if you want to. Uh, air, airport uh, Wi-Fi is public, so uh, recommend using a VPN. Well, good luck with all that because the bandwidth on airport Wi-Fi is yeah. basically a bit of wet string, usually, <laughs> with everyone jumping onto it at the same time. Um, you can also browse the duty-free, of course. Uh, which seems to be a very popular thing. Does that exist anymore? It certainly does. Yes, absolutely, for reasons uh, which are obvious, but I can't mention because we'll just get into that discussion again. Um, You could play a card game. Uh, You've got Scrabble, Monopoly, things like that. Uh, Smith's is great for that, and also Hamley's also exist at uh, Heathrow, Gatwick and Manchester, to to my knowledge as well. Um, If you want to go to skyscanner.com, you could also work out as well, they suggest. Now, I wouldn't be doing that 
uh, whilst I was delayed for my flight. Um, but uh, also for people that are not uh, to do, uh, not going to do long haul flying, sitting around before the flight and then sitting all for whole for the whole of the flight itself isn't a great idea. So if you're in transit, um, you could actually, you know, get up and walk around a bit. I, w- I would not suggest working out. That just is. That's literally a step too far from my liking. Um, mm. You can also uh, check out the airport art as well. And actually, there's a surprisingly long list of airports that also double as art galleries. So the, the, t- amongst a few of them are Doha, uh, Rome, uh, Fiumicino, Larnaca, Tel Aviv, San Francisco, Athens, Amsterdam, so you can forget about all the chaos there, uh, Philadelphia, Newark and Istanbul. Local artists and works provide cultural authenticity and character to airports. Pieces of art are good points of reference and waypoints in airports and help people navigate through terminals. And it also says that artwork can reduce stress. Well, I didn't know that, so I'll, I'll, uh, I'll look at some art uh, next time. <laughs> Um, I think clearly it was a bit of a slow news day when they wrote all this. I mean, you know, uh, but um, no, it, it's some interesting things. But, um, you know, airport delays are never a great thing anyway. So anything which can improve the experience a little has to be a good thing, I suppose. I always thought that the, the delay was a good time to go and chat up the um, ground handling staff to, you know, get that upgrade to seat 1a it's all right i suppose if if you know about the delay in advance i mean a lot of people you know sometimes like you don't find out about the delay until it's way too late um you know and you're perhaps then in a part of the airport for example where there aren't nice things to go and do like sit in weatherspoons and do this but um uh, neil lamorne other bars are available (laughs) other bars are available uh neil lamorne is saying uh, wrong nev you only need to catch up on the podcast you miss why is anyone missing PTUK? Good point, good point. Well made, I think. Very good yeah. point. Yeah, yeah absolutely. absolutely. The Airstick <laughs> makes a comment in the chat room just now. Uh, APG apparently helps him to get to sleep. Right. And uh, Richard Adams is saying, uh, <laughs> uh, or if you can pop that back up for me, John, sorry. Uh, Richard Adams is saying the delays are now nearly long enough to be able to listen to a whole episode of APG. Oh, my word. I know. <laughs> Oh, obviously, obviously, if you do have any complaints about what I've just said, it, then do please it's, it's, feel free to contact APG directly with uh, <laughs> uh, complaints at uh, airlinepilotguy.com, obviously. Just a question for Nev. While we are on this subject, what is the best airport to get stuck in, Nev, in regards to things to do? Oh, that's a very good question. Amsterdam's not a bad one because of the the size of Schiphol is absolutely enormous. And I think they still have got their viewing deck available where that Mm. uh, Fokker 100 is uh, positioned. Um, So that's quite good. So if it's busy on the ramp and the weather's nice, that's quite a good place. And there's some tables and chairs you can sit outside as well. Uh, There's an aircraft simulator you can play on as well. I seem to remember they've still got that. It's more like an arcade game, but, you know, (laughs) it's all the same thing, isn't it? Um, but uh, no, I think Schiphol is probably one of the, the better ones in, in the European region. Uh, a bit boring at Heathrow unless you're into shopping and this kind of stuff. But of course, <laughs> you've got to remember that some of the things that you could buy at the electrical stores in Heathrow may be more expensive uh, than had you ordered them at home I know, <laughs> or on Amazon. I know, that's a common problem, isn't it? <laughs> that is 
if uh, uh, if you're listening to this as an audio podcast and you have your favorite airport to get stuck in when you're delayed that has loads of stuff to do let us know send us an email details uh, at the end of the show oh captain cruz is saying changi and oh yes that's a good singapore changi for sure yeah, singapore yes. yeah yes, captain cruz yeah I know they. I know that. Uh, John was saying. I think they've got a cinema there. I know they had a um, at. I mean, this this was a while ago that I went through uh, Kuala Lumpur Airport, and uh, I remember watching Walk the Line, uh, which is a very good film if you haven't seen it. And that was uh, it, it. Was it was very well done in some respects because it was basically like a big sort of circle circle of seats in the middle of uh, like a walkway essentially with like big high def screens and stuff all all um all all, all on it um but that worked really well as a sort of like a mini cinema and stuff to to watch stuff and i watched uh, yeah i watched that film i had a i think it was a three hour <coughs> i think i had a three hour stop at koala Lumpur before i then went on to um new zealand and uh, yeah that, that 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 was that kept me amused for ages mm. um uh, Dirk cinema's saying, a good idea cinema's yeah Dirk is saying just don't get stuck in MXP or C or, or Ch- uh, Milan or Charles de Gaulle airport in Paris oh Charles de Gaulle yeah. why is it why, uh, it's awful why, man. why is it it's awful, awful. Why? when you when you go through Charles de Gaulle airport it is literally like you've stepped into Marty McFly's DeLorean and gone back to 1985 oh right dated then is that what you're trying to say yeah yeah, one, okay. yeah. Right. Well, <laughs> indeed, Captain Cruz is saying that uh, Butterfly Park, this is at Singapore, by the way, uh, sleeping pods, outdoor swimming pool, and a nice Harry's Bar outside roof terrace. Where oh, you I like can, that. Where you can mm, also watch good. the aeroplanes. And, of course, Dirk S was saying, it's like, why are they saying all these things? It should absolutely say on there, just watch the aeroplanes, of course. Mm. Uh, Do you know, that's yeah. one of the great things, I will say, that Luca done when they when they built the extension onto the terminal at luca airport in malta they built the calf with a uh, a lounge area that overlooks the apron where the aircraft um come and taxi in brilliant brilliant idea great place to sit and have a nice. have a coffee and watch aircraft more air, airports should do that kind of thing so nice. and actually i was talking to uh stuart aslett one of our listeners stuart aslett this week on the phone and he was saying that he took a trip out to gatwick this week um um to, to have a look around because he used to he used to work there he was based there many years ago Gosh. and he was saying that gatwick used to have a really good viewing lounge which i myself visited quite a few times at gatwick and he was saying how it's gone there's gone. There's nothing there. It's all. It's just. There's. It's just hideous. That was same with Heathrow with the Queen's yeah. building, wasn't it? Same story there. What, what a pity. Yeah. And with all the security business that was going on, and uh, yeah, they both got uh, closed. Sadly. Yeah. It's, it's a great shame. I think a great shame. Now, I but, mean, I, I remember. I, I mean, I remember. I mean, Manchester Airport had a fantastic viewing gallery. Oh, back in the the, the viewing ground is still there. The park is, is still okay. there. Yeah. Yeah. It's got that hump where you can stand on and you can watch the aircraft taxi past. Yeah, uh, yeah this was in the terminal. Yeah. I mean, uh, when, oh, right. when I went, you went into a, you know, you got in the lift and you went to the top of the building and this lovely sort of glass pod um, that, um, that you know, and there was like a vending machine and, and all that kind of thing. There was a little cafe up there as well. Um, but uh, I don't know if any of that's still there now. Hmm. Hmm. It's a shame because I think it's, it, I think it's it's good for for young people, especially when they're there with the parents, to be able to, get, to see 
you know, kind of see aircraft and stuff and see what goes on. But anyway, you know, that's that's how we feel mm. as aviation geeks. Obviously, many people don't see it that way. Uh, next story, moving on to a story from the BBC.com and .gov.uk forward slash AAIB. This is all about uh, the zero avia crash in test flight over Cranfield. Now, this, this is a story harking back to something that we covered back in April of 2021. Uh, we covered this on episode 366. This was story number two at the time. Uh, the electrically powered aircraft was undertaking experimental flight tests under E conditions when the power to the electric motors was lost. A forced landing was carried out close to Cranfield Airfield during which the aircraft was severely damaged. And yes, it was. Uh, the loss of power occurred as part of the test procedure. The battery was selected off with the intention of leaving the electrical motors solely powered by the hydrogen fuel cell. During this interruption, the windmilling propeller generated a voltage high enough to operate the inverter protection system, which locked out the power to the motors. The pilot and observer were unable to restart um, uh, reset the systems and restore electrical power. The report found a number of factors contributed to the accident, including an ineffective emergency procedure, inefficient ground testing, and the failure to review the risk assessment after the loss of propulsion on two previous flights. The report also said the experiment team had a high workload and there was pressure on them to achieve a long duration demonstration flight by the end of May 2021. I mean, the bit that worries me there the most, if I'm brutally honest, is the bit where it says that, you know, there were two previous problems. It's almost like the, this this Didn't thing happened learn. twice before and Didn't no learn. lessons were learned or no. not enough time was given to learn to, to deal with it. And that's the bit that worries me about that story at all. I mean, you know, you've got... Um, you know, this is innovative. You know, innovative flight, isn't it? This is this is a new technology, and I, I can't help but feel that this particular company haven't done it right. Do, do you know what I mean? Well, Neil Cluffley mentioned this uh, during the four hundredth show. He did, yes. When we had a discussion about uh, electrically powered aircraft, and uh, mm. that's why Faraday's decision is to go down the hybrid route yeah. because yeah. Uh, of safety concerns, although there seems to be some other stuff going on here which uh, Neil didn't actually uh, speak directly about, mm. but now that the full report's out, um, you can see what, what's mm. gone on here. Um, I think that the, the worrying thing is that the last uh, paragraph where it says the report uh, said the experimental exp experiment team had a high workload and there was pressure on them to achieve a long-duration demonstration flight by the end of May 21. Wrong answer. Mm. The, uh, the, the correct answer is uh, you must make sure that the aircraft is safe, uh, regardless of uh, any other business yeah. going on. So, no, uh, no other external yeah. forces should be involved yeah, totally, in. Totally. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. And this is the thing. It was, uh, And that's one of the things, again, sort of like, as you were saying, like the hybrid idea that Faraday are going down with uh, a changeable power supply. Because, you know, I mean, he was the first to admit that batteries just aren't up to the job 
right yeah. now uh, for long term, um, you know, long term solutions and stuff. But the ability, like with their aircraft that they've got in mind, to be able to sort of change that for like basically a small generator. That's essentially what it was, isn't it? Basically, the glorified baby APU, wasn't it? That he was mm. also, also using uh, products that have already been uh, certified, certified and tested, certificated, yeah, absolutely um, for for specific jobs. So um, yeah, it's. Uh, mm. I don't know, but uh, no, a, a very, very um, bad situation there, definitely. Fun, funnily enough, I saw another Tesla fire on the news this week with a car had caught fire again. Mm. Another Tesla car. <laughs> oh, yeah. was it? I missed yeah. that. Batteries, uh, Battery, yeah. thermal management issues. How yeah. surprising. Mm. Yeah, well, and, and the trouble is, trouble is, is once the runaway has started... Um, there's very little you can do about it, isn't that it? That is really? the last thing yeah. you need when you're flying an mm. aircraft is to have a fire. Mm. Yeah, not a good thing. Agreed, although you don't have any fuel to worry about in that particular scenario. It, well, no, it's fires <laughs> are still not a good thing, even without Really? Oh, you do surprise <laughs> me. Okay, no, fair enough, yeah. No, honestly, Matt. Glass half full, honestly. I know, you've got... I, I love this story. This Matt, you've got this next story. We're going to uh, Auntie Liz's neck of the woods for this one. Oh, yes, okay. Uh, yeah, so Air Canada baggage woes is the story. I mean, to be fair, it, you could you could replace uh, that first part with BA, uh, EasyJet, any other airline. <laughs> but essentially, this particular story is Air Canada baggage woes. And Air Can- uh, this is on the businessinsider.com Website an Air Canada passenger. <laughs> Apologies there, Matt. So just uh, he he is nearly he's like eighty yeah, percent. Yeah, we're nearly his, there. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Anyway, should, yeah. Well, be- before it happens again, uh, it's uh, <laughs> an Air Canada passenger uh, who recently lost luggage said he she deliberately only packed a carry on bag to avoid the travel disruption uh, consuming the airline industry, uh, but was later made to check the bag in only to have the airline misplace it. Uh, Emily uh, Martino, who's travelled with a partner from LAX to Barcelona via Air Canada uh, on uh, June the 29th, told Insider that she was made to check the bag at LAX after the airline told her that her, ba- that, that her that there was no more room for carry-ons and I've had this experience before when I've been on a Ryanair flight and they've told me that um that there's no room uh, and that I've got to put my bag in the hold mm. and I, I actually did something which I wouldn't normally do I really stood my ground um I I, I know uh, producer John will be horrified by this um <laughs> but uh, it was it was it was I got a hard drive so I'd been to a wedding basically so I'd flown to Scotland, and it was, it was in a lovely village called Kenmore, which is right on the banks of the uh, right on the bank of um, <laughs> Loch Tay, an absolutely beautiful place. Uh, it was, and I basically had all of the wedding video footage and all of the photographs and i was having to literally explain that this is the only digital copy we have of these things so please don't get me you know it's like i don't care if you won't let me board the flight this is not going in the hole because what the contents of that hard drive is too precious literally too precious yeah no absolutely and john saying his response would have been to refuse me to go on the flight which is absolutely the right thing to do I, i'm under no illusions there but it was just like uh you know this 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 stuff was so 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 precious i think so, we've, we've all we've all done the same matt we've all been down that that road especially with be uh, with ryanair and EasyJet. Mm. you know if you've if you've got something you know i've done exactly the same when i had both my dslr cameras in my hand luggage bag and flew with ryanair there was no way no way 
I was going to be checking that bag in to go in the hold, not with the cameras and stuff in there. No. That, that was going to be staying with me and going in the overhead locker regardless. You know, even if it had to go in the locker uh, uh, in row three and I was in row 20 or whatever, mm. it was going to go on board. But um, it's a risk you take. You know, if you're yeah. willing to take that risk. Yeah, there there is that. That, and I mean, one one thing that I was interested. So obviously, I'm giving you an example um, of what I'm what I'm referring to there. To say, so speaking from my own personal experience, Emily's obviously had something similar. Now, I was intrigued to know um, what the consumer rights are in a situation uh, like this. I mean, where where do you stand? Do you do you you know if you if you've agreed that you you know you, you you've got a carry-on bag and the airline decide that you want to um to have it in the hold do you have the right to to um like refuse like what i have so, uh i mean are they in the term you know is stuff like that in the terms and condition i mean nev you probably know you probably know better than i do in terms of stuff like that I think it depends on the crew on the day, <laughs> actually. Yeah. Uh, as to, and how nice you are to them as well. Um, another top tip from your Uncle Nev here. Um, if you're going to uh, have a difference of opinion with the crew, do it in a reasonable manner. I've seen some horrific examples in the last month uh, where people have been completely unreasonable uh, as well. Yes, uh, yeah. But, uh, so, yeah. Uh, and, of course, there is a limit on uh, compensation that they will pay for mm. a uh, lost bag as well um so that's all all set down Indeed. in uh, in the t's and c's Indeed. Uh, and, in, so. and in my and in my example that i gave actually to be fair when i explained the situation they were very understanding actually when when they hadn't you know they didn't have to be they could have been absolutely horrible and sort of exp- you know and, and they did sort of fully understand the reason why i was so nervous about this particular hard drive going into the hold so you know to you know credit where credit's due uh, now obviously uh nev you you've uh, you've invested in some air tags haven't you because off the back of a very similar situation yes i mean that's not going to get my bag back but at no. least if i'm experiencing uh what should we say a difference of opinion uh with the baggage handling company um who tell me it'll be on the way very shortly mr bounds it, it's just coming around the corner i can say no it's still in london and, and here it is. Uh, so here's um, my proof yes so, indeed uh, um, but at least it gives you some idea of where it is even if they don't know where it is um but uh, yeah um missing and late baggage is a bit of a thing at the moment that's that's for sure almost doesn't matter which airport you're flying out of i don't think uh, or with or with which carrier there's always the possibility of uh, some stuff going wrong here so, so um, interestingly enough yeah. if uh, going back to what you were saying there nev if uh if your bag is lost more than 21 days you can claim up to 1300 euros in europe indeed yes which is a, a good in the uk in the uk it's about a thousand um i mean i is it is it one of these though where you know i don't know if ba do do this uh nev you may know, may know better i mean are you able to sort of pay to guarantee that your bag would stay on board is it is that an option with no, ba no and, and again that what's happening at the moment is that um because the all the flights are so full at the moment there's very few seats available on any aircraft currently um the ba certainly and maybe other carriers as well are encouraging you to check in your bag at the gate um so that there's plenty of room for everybody else and the result of that is that the people that do um, let them uh, do that um had a situation the other week was about 35 people came forward to check in their bags um of course that just delays 
the, the departure of the aircraft for starters um, but also does run the possibility of the bag not getting there although once it's as far as the gate then uh, the ground handling staff you know you've got a better chance of actually getting it on the plane because you've not got to put it through the the automated system on on the belt and all the rest of it but uh, no I, I think um, I mean my advice would be, you know, split stuff between if you've got more than one person traveling, split stuff stuff between you if you can. Don't uh, don't check it all in um, and anything which is really important, like medicines or, you know, valuable things. Uh, make sure you keep them with you. But um, no, I think there's no I think you'd be definitely on, on the back foot if you started to insist about things without without being nice to the uh the, the check-in staff definitely so here's a crazy idea for you nev okay um I, I, i'm trying so uh john in the notes has put a fascinating um a bit of uh a link a link in basically and it's a website called mybaggage.com and what is really interesting about this is essentially like um posting your luggage it's like courier for baggage essentially so there's a way of, <laughs> i don't know if it's I'm, to, I'm to like yeah. guarantee that you're uh, that to guarantee that your baggage is going to uh, arrive i mean there's there's one word in here that will probably make your blood boil so i apologize in advance uh, for that but it's mybaggage.com and i was looking at a quote um to uh, send this basically. I wonder if I can get it to come up on screen. Just bear with me a moment. I, I've just uh, just for just for um, <clears throat> and giggles. Yes. I've looked at sending. I've looked at sending my case from here to to Malta. It's apparently according to this, it'll take between one and two days. And for up to twenty kilos, it's one hundred and ten quid. And for up to thirty kilos, it's one hundred and forty-five quid. So we can we can, we can do. They'll best. collect it from my home Monday. Wow. Uh, so we could do slightly better than that, actually. So here's an example that I've just uh, looked up. So we're going from the UK mainland to Spain. Say we were going uh, on holiday there. Uh, it's actually, uh, if you <laughs> if you choose the economy version, uh, now apologies, Nev, in advance here, Brexit and fuel surcharge is active on this one. Uh, I'm not quite sure what they mean by Brexit anymore, if I'm honest, but <laughs> we'll gloss over that. Uh, three to four days uh, for a bag up to 20, uh, up to 20 kilograms it's only 36 pounds uh, here's the interesting bit if it's up to 30 kilograms it's only another two pounds uh so 38 quid uh so the earliest collection would be this monday coming if you book book in the next couple of hours and it'll arrive in <laughs> it'll arrive in three to three to four days I bizarrely, think cool. bizarrely enough just to, to send a suitcase from here to armando over in the us two to three days and for up to 30 kilos, which is not a bad weight no, for a suitcase, weight. 115 quid. I wonder how that much how, how much that would cost you with someone like UPS or... It's way more than 115 quid for that weight. Yeah. Oh, my word. Yeah. Easily, easily way more than that Yeah. for that weight. Yeah, you'd be looking at at least double, if not a double and a half... Mm. Mm. of that to say i'll tell you what that's not a bad i think i'm gonna when we send uh, send gifts mm. out to armando in yeah. future i think i'm just gonna send him a suitcase absolutely so yes yeah, so, so a top travel trip that i was going to ask for top tra travel tips but i think john has already given us the best one it's mybaggage.com as a way of guaranteeing that your suitcase is going to arrive there on 
on time, I guess. I mean, is there any guarantee? Because I presume it's it's still going by. Um, is it, is it? Will it still be going by like like flights and stuff as per normal? Uh, or yes, is it? I think it will be. Yes. Okay. So there's still no guarantee that it'll pop out at Heathrow the other end, but uh, but it's probably insured as uh, as John was. I mean, they've, was they've got a list yeah. on this this my baggage thing. You can you can send you can send bicycles, yeah, golf yeah, bags, yeah. yeah, yeah. There is the only thing that they say you cannot send mm-hmm. are aerosols and liquids. But that's no different to any that's any, no any yeah. flight, is it? Absolutely. And lithium-ion batteries. Presumably. And lithium-ion yeah. batteries. Uh, so oh, what Nev, an interesting sight. So Nev, off the back of your recent experiences, obviously you've got the air tags and everything. Oh, Richard Adams is saying probably less than the easyJet baggage costs. He's probably right. Um, <laughs> off the off the back of your recent experiences in terms of of like luggage and stuff, uh, is there any, any travel tips that you would offer? Are, are wonderful listeners no, I, I just think that um knowing what can go wrong at the moment it's just wise mm. to, to keep all the important stuff with you and you can still actually put a lot of stuff into a bag and still be legal in terms of the you know the baggage size uh, to, to go onto the aircraft um and you know if you need to take more than that then you're gonna have to check in the bag probably but uh, BA certainly allow you a reasonable size small suitcase and a you know hold all or, or that or a um, backpack. So yeah, I mean I think that with the current situation, I would advise um, not to check stuff in if you can possibly help it, and if you do have to, make sure that it's not mission critical stuff like medicines or cameras or things like that. True, true, true. Indeed, there we go. Top tip. It's a, it's a, it's a Nev top tip. Then, uh, basically, uh, carry on only. That's what you're advising, essentially. <laughs> Simon Calder t- taught me everything I know. So there we Excellent. Go. Oh well, there we are then. Very good. Very good. Uh, yeah, it's like Dirk Guest says. New category on the show. Uncle Nev's top tips. Um, so this next story. I comes like it. To us. Uh, I know. Uh, John, this start comes... making the stingers immediately. Here we go. <laughs> The uh, story comes from Fox Business and uh, Biden administration says 66 years old is too old for commercial pilots as President is 80 years old. Uh, Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg Buttigieg, Sorry for our US listeners. Buttigieg. Buttigieg, I don't know. (laughs) Dave expressed his opposition to raising the airline pilot retirement age from 67 uh, from 65 over or 267 from 65 over the weekend fox news said on sunday as his boss nears Stages. Uh, while speaking on Fox News Sunday, the Transportation Secretary said that the retirement ages were there for a reason and that he was not going to be on board with anything that compromises safety. The answer is not to keep the baby boomer generation in the cockpit indefinitely, he said, but Fox Business asked the White House and Department for Trans- uh, Transportation why the administration believe 66 is too old to become a commercial pilot, but 80 isn't too old to become or be the President of the United States. So for me, I mean, I I know, if, well, I know quite a few pilots who are, who are all above the age of 70 who pass their medical every year and are probably more bl- blinking healthy than what I am. And I, for me personally, if you can pass the medicals, which aren't just you know they're not like Mickey Mouse medicals. They are you know the medicals you have to take to to be a pilot 
are fairly stringent. If you can mm. pass a medical like that, even at the age of 70 or 60 or 70 years old, then why shouldn't you be allowed to carry on flying? Thoughts? Yeah, absolutely. No, it's, it's all about um, safety, the, the airline business. And if you can pass the medical and you've got the experience and you're qualified to fly on the aircraft, then that's the end of it. Um, and so uh, if, if if there is a proposal to, to raise the um, uh, age to 67 with all those checks in place, then fair enough. Uh, it wasn't that long ago that uh, British Airways uh, captains had to retire at 55. Um, so we've uh, we've come a long way since then, that's for sure. But uh, no, it's all about the medical and the competency of, uh, of flying the aircraft. Yeah. Indeed. Uh, the airstick is saying the retirement age is there for the unions as uh, as an option. Um, I mean, I, but yeah, as you say, if they're passing the medical, I mean, wh- what's the what's what's the the issue? I mean, it's uh, it's a it's a challenging one, isn't it? Really, it's a. Uh, I mean, dare I say the words, it's almost like being ageist. You know, just because you've hit a certain number, that means you're no longer allowed to, even if you are passing the medical. I just, I just find it very strange in this day and age. I, I just honest. think if you've, if you've passed your medical, if you can see, if your, your sight is good mm. and your hearing is good, I just don't see, you know... Don't see what the issue is. You've been signed off by a medical examiner, why you shouldn't be allowed to do what you love doing, which is flying for a lot of people. So... And let's be honest; those those medicals are really stringent, you know. So I mean, there's there's a very good chance if there was some underlying health condition that it would have been absolutely been picked up. But, yes. Uh, yeah. Now, moving from one sort of uh, age-related story onto another with uh, you, Nev, and this is staggering. I think this is a great story. This is on onemileatatime.com, uh, and it says that 96-year-old celebrates 80 years working at American Airlines. And this week's uh, American Airlines most senior employee is celebrating his 80th anniversary. No, not his 80th birthday, but his 80th anniversary of working for the airline. What? Al Blackman is an aviation maintenance technician based in New York, and not surprisingly, Blackman holds the Guinness World Record for having the longest career as an airline mechanic. When Blackman was just 16 years old and he graduated from aviation high school in Manhattan and took a job with American Airlines, uh, which was American Export Airlines at the time, uh, as an apprentice in the sheet metal shop for 50 cents an hour. Uh, For his 75th anniversary, the airline dedicated a Boeing 777 in his honour, which he then took on a joyride above New York. Some 30 years ago, Blackman was honoured with the FAA's Charles E. Taylor Master Mechanic Award, a feat only awarded to individuals with 50 years of experience in aviation maintenance as an accredited mechanic or repairman certified by the FAA for at least 30 years. That's an incredible innings, isn't it? Absolutely brilliant. And, um, yeah, well, to start with, working for the same company, more or less, for the whole whole that time. Um, So uh, It's rare that you have somebody who works for the same company their entire working life these days. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that wasn't wasn't uncommon, was it, back in the day, but... uh, you know, no, and I think the um, things have changed a lot now, haven't they? Where you mm. you don't get people working at the same firm for many, many years. But uh, no, th- this is a great story, and uh, I think we're going to hear more about this because there's going to be a press release about it uh, soon. I think so. Mm. Uh, no, very, very good stuff and uh, superb innings. Yeah, absolutely love it. Yeah, good on them. Good on love it. Side. Good story yeah. there. Like that. Nice picture as well there. Yeah, it was. Yeah, mm. it was. So that is where we bring the commercial news 
part of the show to a close this week. Loads of good stories in there uh, this week, which has been good. Uh, now, moving on to the next part of the show. And Nev, a few weeks ago, uh, we went and done something very special, didn't we? We did, yes. On Sunday, the 3rd of July, uh, Dan over at uh, Seething Airfield very kindly allowed us to pop over there with the cameras and the mics uh, to film and talk about the fly-in that they had arranged. And what a day it was. I mean, the um, the weather was absolutely perfect for a start, that which was superb. Uh, the food, obviously, sensational. <laughs> well, more about that later on. Very important. Um, but uh, no, Carlos and I really enjoyed ourselves. And uh, thanks to Dan and everybody else at Seething for arranging it. So we've got some video to play out. We're going to be playing out some interviews over the next uh, few weeks. Uh, but let's go over to Seething and join Carlos now. Well, we are here finally uh, at uh, Seething, and we are at first sort of outing really yeah. this year, Nev. And it's third uh, of July, so we've taken it's taken a while, hasn't it's it? It's taken a while. Sun is uh, sun is shining. It's nice and clear today. A little bit breezy, mm. uh, but uh, it's nice and clear out here today. Uh, and we're here for the Seething Fly-in Day, and uh, you can probably see uh, just behind me there uh, Dan's uh, long easy G Muzo, uh, which is behind us there. Dan's very kindly invited us here today. And uh, sort us out with a very good interview we're going to be doing later on with Patrick and Linda. Yeah, looking Actually, forward to that. Looking forward to that. Um, and there's also lots more long EZs that are doing uh, doing today. I think there's going to be over over 10 or 15 long EZs flying in, saying, along yeah. with other aircraft as well. Mm. So we're looking forward to that in, very much indeed. But uh, Nev, uh, you had a good journey down to uh, the east yes. of England? Yes, yes, yes. Uh, had the uh, Holiday Inn breakfast experience this morning on the Ipswich Road in, Norf- in Norwich, which was... Uh, very nice indeed um, and there's some barbecue promised for later on as yes. well apparently so yes, that's barbecue. nice isn't it barbecue. so uh, we're not going to be short of food today I don't think no no very much looking forward to the barbecue they're just setting it up now um, just behind us there or in front of us there I should say uh, so it'll be ready later on this afternoon for us to delve into but like I said there's loads more aircraft doing today um, there was actually a long EZ that flew over uh, on the down well actually it was on the on dead side of the airfield uh, just a moment ago so he will probably be Coming in sometime soon, I'd imagine. Flying around somewhere, Nev. Hopefully, mm. hopefully. Yes. Yeah. Be here somewhere. But, uh, no, it's a great little airfield, isn't it? And, yes. Uh, run by some very enthusiastic volunteers, and um, yeah, absolutely superb. So um, yeah, I'm looking forward to a great day's uh, flying, interviewing, chatting, and pictures, food, food, yes. food and stuff. And uh, hopefully we'll, uh, we'll, we'll also take a little dip into the hangars as well mm. uh, later on for those of you who uh, might not have seen before uh, the footage that we had when we were here last of the awesome turntable they've got in the hangar there. That was great, Where that? you can just pick yeah. an aircraft, press a button and the turntable brings your aircraft to you, which is a fantastic bit of kit. Um, but uh, yes, yeah, so Nev, I suppose we, uh, we better go and, uh, and uh, prepare ourselves. Or oh, we can just... Oh. Somebody else up there. Somebody else up there. Yeah. I suppose we better get on. Yep, let's do that. Back with more stuff later on. And uh, we are still at Seething in the glorious sunshine with a bit of a breeze blowing right now. And I'm here with Dan. Obviously, Dan's been on the show a few times before. And uh, Dan very kindly invited us here um, to uh, Seething for the fly-in today. So, Dan, welcome back onto the show. Good to see you. Welcome back to Seething. It's good to see you again. Yeah. And congratulations on your success since you've been here last. You guys are really storming up the charts. (laughs) 
Yeah, so well done. Thank you, Dan. It's, uh, it's great to be here. It's, I mean, a great turnout of aircraft, and they're still flying in now. They are, and we're running out of places to park them, so that should be interesting. <laughs> so, Dan, we're here next to your uh, Long EZ, yeah. and uh, obviously you've, we've seen it on the show before, but uh, you've made a few changes uh, uh, actually inside the aircraft, haven't you, since we last spoke to you? Yeah, since the lockdown, it's had a whole new panel put in. It's got an MGL EFIS now, um, a new radio, A33 radio, um, trig transponder, electronic ignition. It's got a different prop on now. That's a Gary Hertzler silver bullet prop. Um, lightweight starter, uh, just bits and pieces. <laughs> you, you got bored over lockdown. Yeah, we had to do something, you know. <laughs> so you spent a lot. You spent out now. That's I am. It. I'm broke. You're broke. Oh. Can't afford to fly anymore. But. Having an aircraft is not a cheap thing. <laughs> it's not. So a bit, a bit about the panels you got inside there then. So. Uh, it's an MGL Explorer EFIS. Um, everything shows up on the screen, all your um, engine instruments, um, all what you would normally be the six-pack, that's on the screen. Uh, navigation, autopilot, everything on the screen. There is redundancy. I kept the airspeed indicator and the um, altimeter. Um, the radio has a head, so you can control that from the EFIS or from the, the radio head, same as the transponder. Um, I keep the iPad in there to run SkyDemon on. And that's Bluetooth to the pilot-aware traffic system. Um, that gives you all the traffic in your area. Uh, that came in handy. Uh, oh, yeah, you've got a bit of a story ago. about that. Yeah, we um flying near Beckles, where you live, the parachute airplane up and down all day long. I was well outside their zone, and he actually buzzed in front of me. I got a traffic warning, and within two seconds, he crossed my path, probably 100 foot in front of me. But, um, Ow. So when we contacted the Airprox board and they wanted to know if we had any other data we could send them, and using the pilot aware, uh, we could download all the traffic data, put it into a program, and it would replay the sequence so you can see exactly what happened. So they're using that, and we should get the report next month. Wow. So any kind of thoughts yourself as to, to what? Well, we give them a wide berth at Beckles, you know, because of the parachuting, but... Um, yeah, you always got to be vigilant and keep a good lookout because they come down fast. Yeah. And even though that. I had my traffic warning set to warn me anything a thousand foot above, when they're coming down at three thousand foot a minute, four thousand foot a minute, that that's not really a lot of time. So I've changed it now. That warns me at five thousand feet above, so you get a little bit more time. But without that, I might not have even noticed. Wow. Yeah. So something to think about. Well, it's good to have that thing on board. Oh, definitely. I yeah. highly recommend it. Pilot Aware, they can see you, you can see them. It makes everybody safer. So can we uh, ADSB out on this so you can, uh, we ADSB can see you? It has out as well, so it's kind of redundant. I use it more for the input because they're going to see me anyway with the ADSB out if they've got some sort of receiver, Sky Echo, Pilot Aware, any of those. Um, but, yeah, I use it for the input. So what have you been up to then, Dan, flying-wise? I mean, obviously, a few weeks ago, I saw you flying literally right over the top of the house there uh, with another aircraft, which was quite a nice sight to see. Yeah, but the, uh, what, what, else, what else have you been up to? Nothing really long distance, just been flying locally. When you saw me flying, we were doing a video for the daughter of the man who built my plane. He sadly passed away a couple months ago. And on Father's Day, she asked if she could come over and see the aircraft. Oh, I saw that online. That was fantastic. Because she had some fond memories of growing up with him. It took him seven years to build the plane. And uh, she came over. We took her for a flight, made a video. It was a good day. Oh, wow. Where can people, because that that was a lovely video. Can people find that video anywhere? Uh, The YouTube channel, if you look up uh, Seething Airfield Pilots and Friends, that's my channel. And all our videos are on there.
because it was a fantastic and it's it's so poignant as well yeah. to have you know the, the 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 smile on her face yeah says it all yeah says it all any plans um, going ahead for the future then, Dan, anymore? Uh, in the next couple of weeks, I think we're going to go across the channel, Latuke, just for a day out, have lunch over there, and I'll see where that takes us. Oh, I'll uh, look forward to the invite then, Dan, when that <laughs> comes through the post. No problem. <laughs> <laughs> well, Dan, it's been lovely to talk to you again, you as too. always here. It's great to be back at Seething. Yeah, and, thanks for coming uh, No, it's, it's good. Any, any more sort of lined up for the rest of the year at Seething here? Any uh, more? There's going to be a beer festival on the other side of the airfield with a brewery. Did you say it. beer? Yeah, beer. Uh, <laughs> you can come in, you can fly in and camp. Uh, details are still being worked out, but uh, we'll let you know. Oh, excellent. That'll be a good one uh, to come and visit again, I think, with a with a tent in hand rather than drive. <laughs> That's right. Well, great to see you anyway, Dan, and uh, look forward to uh, hearing about all the, uh, the uh, well, travels you have in the in the future. But, uh, yeah, don't forget to check out that uh, YouTube page as well. Again, just quickly for the listeners, that YouTube page again was... Seething Airfield Pilots and Friends. There we go. We'll put the links in the show notes. And, uh, Dan, have a great day. Yeah, thanks for coming over. Cheers. Thank you, Dan. Now, I don't care what anyone says. I swear that is the coolest aircraft I think I've ever seen. Oh, it's such a cool aircraft, brilliant. isn't it? It is. I don't think it I, is. Genuinely, I don't think I've ever seen anything like it. It's, it's the, and I, and I hate to admit this live on air, it's Ooh. one of the few times that I've felt queasy in a GA aircraft oh. was, when, was when Dan... <laughs> Was when Dan took me took me for a flight over um, over Great Yarmouth Seafront and that, and on it, it's an amazing bit of kit. It's so it's quick. It is very mm. quick. It, it's you know it, it's not your Cessna 150 kind of speeds. We're not mm. talking you know 80 or 90 knots here. We're, we're talking 100 plus um, knots in these. But it's a it's a such a nice bit of kit that aircraft. <laughs> Actually, a lot of people, a few people in chat rooms were commenting on the fact that the uh, the nose wheel gear kind of uh, retracts underneath, but which uh, makes it does make it look quite strange when you see those uh, uh, sitting on the parked up mm. on the uh, flight line there at seating. But there was there was loads there, weren't there? There was quite a few turned up on the day. There was well over ten uh, EZs, long EZs turned up on the. Oh yeah, uh, on the day. Dan did a great job there, and uh, also coordinating all the parking, all the ground handling. That was quite challenging at times, I'm sure. Mm. But uh, now we've got uh, several weeks more of uh, content from Seething, I'm pleased to say. Uh, we've got a cracking interview coming up with a chap called Mike uh, with his uh, Cessna 150 Aerobat oh, uh, wow. next week. That is a, a fascinating uh, chat with Mike that we had as well. So we're really looking forward to that. And once again, Dan, thanks ever so much for letting us come along. So yes. what did you, what else did you stumble across there, by the way? I mean, obviously the long EZ and that, and then the Cesta that Nev's just mentioned. What else did you, did you, did you see during your visit? Oh, well, we had a, had a nice visit to uh, the air traffic control tower. Uh, that was a, a fascinating interview that uh, Carlos did there as well. And uh, we, we've got uh, a couple um, who had flown around the world nearly oh, wow. in their long easy. Um, and that's going to be part of a sort of a three-part series, I think, that we'll do. Um, which wait. is uh, <laughs> just unbelievably interesting. Okay. So, uh, yeah, we'll uh, we'll put that up uh, shortly. But uh, no, all good stuff and um i hope people enjoy it mm, absolutely yeah we're looking forward to the next uh, next flying dan i know you're watching the uh, the show so uh again as nev said thanks to dan and all the team at seething and uh, loads more content to come in uh, future shows can't here wait. on pt uk really can't wait 
So next part of the show, then it's military time, especially for all uh, you fans of military. Mr. Warner, I know he's not in there this week, but he'll be listening to the show. No doubt. At some he's point. at Riyadh. That's why he's at Riyadh. I know he's busy. Bless him. Uh, pictures to follow. No doubt. So Armando has put together a military segment for us this week and very kindly uh, done some videos for us. So Armando, if you're ready, let's do some military news. We haven't spoken about the situation in Ukraine for a couple weeks now. Our first military story comes to us from BulgarianMilitary.com. Ukraine will receive Slovakia's entire fleet of MiG-29 Fulcrum fighters or 12 combat aircraft, one of which was used as a trainer by the Slovak Air Force. The donation comes thanks to a bilateral agreement between the Czech Republic and Slovakia that the Czech Air Force will protect Slovakia's airspace until Bratislava receives 12 F-16 Block 70 units ordered by the U.S. in the coming months. This information comes from the Spanish online portal InfoDefensa. Slovakia was one of the first countries in the world that decided to purchase the latest version of that notorious F-16, the Block 70. According to a signed agreement between the U.S. and Slovakia, the new F-16s were supposed to land mid-2020. However, the Greenville plant was also affected by the coronavirus epidemic, which forced Americans to make new plans for deliveries to each country, including Bulgaria, which is next in line after Slovakia for waiting for its eight F-16 Block 70s. Now, if you guys recall, at the end of April, the United States announced that Ukraine, quote, had more fixed-wing fighters now than they did a few weeks ago. That was a quote from U.S. Defense Secretary John Kirby, avoiding clarifying the origin of the additional aircraft, but admitting that it was due to foreign aid. The fact that the country's fleet, Ukraine, has increased, he said, quote, is not a coincidence because other nations that have experience with this type of aircraft have been able to help them launch more aircraft. Now, at the time, the Pentagon spokesman hinted that these aircraft would already be available to Kiev and had already received certain spare parts and assistance that would allow them to be returned to the air. However, during a press conference held at the time, the defense secretary added a warning that he did not want to get into what other nations are offering because of the danger that it could pose if Moscow concluded that the supply of material implies direct NATO involvement in the conflict. Now, this is incredibly important for Ukraine in their continued self-defense. As you guys know, the entire world has rallied behind Ukraine and receiving these 12 MiG-29 aircraft is going to be incredibly important for them to continue defending their uh, the skies above Ukraine. I mean, it's a fascinating story, thank, I suppose. Uh, yes, uh, thank you for that, Armando. And um, I, I thought that the, there was a rule or something that where where countries couldn't kind of um, sort of you know gift stuff like that to to the Ukraine, but. Um, I mean, to be fair, they might just pay a pound for it. Do you know what I mean? I mean, it's not, you know, it's like one of those. It's uh, 
you know, if you give me a pound, it's yours. It's like, you know, I think they did something similar with Concord back in the day. Um, you know, you sort of like, here's a pound, it's yours. Type, or you, you give me a pound and it's now yours, you know. It's nice. It's a nice thing to do as well. It's just a shame that we have, to, yeah, the work. Yeah, we have to have this situation in the Ukraine. Really, that this is happening. But um, you know, we're not going to get political on the show. That's not what we're about. No, but, no, um, it's no, a shame. No. Uh, moving on to the next story from Armando, and uh, in this one, Armando is talking to us uh, all about uh, a Navy FA eighteen Super Hornet that was blown off an aircraft carrier. This second military story, there are many ways to lose an aircraft in war. Any aircraft missiles, enemy fighter jets, human error, strained airframes from high operational tempos, all of those things could result in a lost aircraft. During peacetime, most aircraft are lost due to mechanical failure, human error, pilot error. It's seldom that a fighter jet with a price tag of more than $50 million just rolls overboard from an aircraft carrier. Yet, it seems that this is exactly what happened when the U.S. Navy lost an F-18 Super Hornet late last week. On 8 July, this Hornet, assigned to Carrier Air Wing 1, and it was aboard the USS Harry Truman, it was blown overboard due to heavy seas caused by a storm in the Mediterranean Sea. When the accident happened, the USS Truman was conducting a replenishment at sea operation where helicopters usually ferry supplies out to the aircraft carrier and smaller warships sail alongside of it with supplies. The F-18 Super Hornet must not have been secured down adequately. According to a U.S. Navy press release, one sailor did receive minor injuries while conducting operations during this unexpected heavy weather. A sailor is in stable condition and expected to make a full recovery. They added that all personnel aboard the ship are accounted for. The Navy also said that the US, uh, USS Harry Truman and the embarked aircraft remained in fully mission-capable status. Details and the cause of the incident are, of course, under investigation. Now, this is the third and the second in the Mediterranean Sea aircraft carrier accident ha- involving fighter jets in the last few months. The Royal Navy had the honors of starting the unhappy string of accidents back in 2021. In November, the new British aircraft carrier, the HMS Queen Elizabeth, was sailing in the Mediterranean on her way back to the United Kingdom, finishing its inaugural operational deployment. At that time, an F-35B was scheduled for a routine training sortie, but went down immediately after taking off. It was revealed later because an engine cover had been forgotten on the aircraft. Now, the second accident took place in January when an American F-35C crashed on the deck of the aircraft carrier USS Carl Vinson while trying to land. Now, as you guys can imagine, there are going to be some people that are going to have to stand in front of the man and explain why it was that this aircraft was not tied down when this uh, adverse weather hit the aircraft carrier. So hopefully we will track this story and find out somewhere in the uh, 2025-2026 time frame what actually happened with this incident all i can say is it must have been one hell of a wind um to move that aircraft and, and blow it off the deck you know this is not a paper airplane um and there's been quite a few comments actually in the chat it doesn't make as well. sense to me because it's just like i mean somebody's got in a whole somebody made a big mistake there didn't they someone didn't put the handbrake on matt yeah, yeah, fair. Yeah, I'll give you that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, does a handbrake make a difference in the wind? Yeah, I, I, not, yeah. Well, uh, Miles High is saying 21st century, and this is happening not good. Very, very good point. Neil Lamorne is saying it must have been just before the end of its warranty. <laughs> I love Dirk, Dirk S's comment. Go on. There, there are a lot of there's a lot into submarine fighter jets lately. <laughs> very true, Dirk. Yeah, it's been very a couple true. of those lately, hasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's uh, Miles High is saying. Uh, sure, it wasn't a Thunderbird hiding on a carrier. Yeah, <laughs> very good. Yeah, Spectrum is green. Indeed. Um, isn't yeah, that, isn't that the other Neil- one? Spectrum is green, isn't it? Oh, is that Captain Scarlet? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I was going to uh, say. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Captain Cruise actually makes a very good point. There are thousands of sea containers lost overboard from ocean vessels every year, each 40 foot long and up to 30 um, tonne. Yeah, I mean, he's right. There are a lot of containers that are lost overboard every year. And it's usually one of mine that, I'm, that I've am that i been waiting yeah, for. It's, six it's weeks your already. delivery, it's, yeah. yeah. Your it's delivery usually, of a... It's usually my wish delivery that should have arrived <laughs> months ago. But anyway, there we go. Yeah. Neil Lamord is saying, a lot more planes in the sea than some submarines in the sky. Good point. <laughs> it, it's true, yeah. It is very true, yeah. Indeed. And Dirk says, yeah, unexpected heavy weather. Oh, come on. Should have watched the Med Marine weather forecast. Yeah, Very or, true. Or WeatherQuest. You know, Dan would or have told Quest, you. Yeah, Dan yeah. would have told you all about it. Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, I mean, honestly, Nev, I mean, what, it must what's have been going a gust. on here? Yeah, well, what's going on here? Yeah, I think someone's um, made an error. Yeah. <laughs> There will be uh, uh, punishment meted out and paperwork to fill in. Perhaps, perhaps you know that the guys are on the deck of the aircraft carrier, and someone said, um, um, "Can you take those uh, chocolates away?" And they took they took the chocks away. Very good. I know. I'm I'm here all week. I'm here all week. (laughs) Are you? John's just jealous. Right, we'll yeah. go to the next story. And <laughs> this next this story, keep digging. This next story comes to us from Armando again, and uh, this is all about the Invictus Armed Scout helicopter, uh, which is looking pretty damn awesome. This next story is from thedrive.com. Bell has released new pictures and a video of the first prototype of its Invictus 360, which it now says is over 90% complete. The advanced helicopter is the company's entry into the Army's Future Attack Reconnaissance Aircraft Program, or FARA, where it is going head-to-head with Sikorsky's Raider X. The Texas-headquartered aviation company first unveiled the Invictus 360 design, which is a conventional reconnaissance and light attack helicopter primarily optimized for speed and comparatively low cost of production. Now, they did that back in 2019. In March, Bell representatives at the HAI Heli Expo 2022 trade show said that the the prototype was around 87% finished. This uh, pictures that these pictures now show that the Invictus 360 has largely taken shape with its fuselage appearing complete at least externally. The helicopter's general configuration is very typical of modern armed helicopters, with the pilot and co-pilot sitting in a tandem arrangement, one behind the other in the forward position of the fuselage. Now, according to Bell, its design is not optimized for radio frequency low observability or stealth in any major way. The Invictus's uh, main main and tail rotors, each of which has four blades, are now installed. The helicopter's rotor system is derived from one on the Bell 525 Relentless helicopter. The initial design concept included a canted, ducted, 
tail rotor assembly, uh, but the actual prototype has a traditional exposed tail rotor, more like the one on the Relentless. Bell has said that this change was made to reduce weight and improve the helicopter's performance. Now, the pictures that Bell put out recently also showed the Invictus 360 prototype with what will look to be the mock-ups of the main elements of its future armament suite. This includes a 20-millimeter, three-barrel Gatling-type cannon, uh, like those seen on some aircraft under the nose, and four rail-mounted weapons racks, one on each side of the central fuselage. In their deployed configuration, these racks hang on rails below the wings, uh, the helicopter's stub wings, but they can be retracted and stowed internally when not in use for optimal performance. What appears to be representations of either Hellfire missiles or uh, uh, AGM-179 joint uh, air-to-ground missiles, as well as common launch tubes, all appear to be loaded on the racks themselves. CLTs, as the name indicates, can be loaded with various munitions as well as air-launched drones. When it comes to the FARA program, the Army envisions whatever helicopter it chooses as being able to employ various types of unmanned systems, also referred to as air-launched effects, or ALEs, from these tubes. Once launched, the ALEs will be able to operate in swarms to perform stand-in electronic attack, loitering, strike, surveillance, and other tasks as you can imagine. Now, the main thing still missing from the Invictus 360 prototype is the General Electric T901 turboshaft engine. In this design, the engine sits offset to the left of the main rotor assembly. It will also have a Pratt & Whitney uh, PW207 turboshaft on the opposite side to provide auxiliary power. Now, the fair helicopters are expected to take the place of the AH-64 Apache helicopters that have been serving in that attack and reconnaissance role since the Army retired its OH-58 Kiowas uh, without a direct replacement back in 2014. Exactly what will happen to the AH-64s in question afterwards remains to be seen, but many of them could end up removed entirely from the service's inventory. The performance of helicopters on both sides of the uh, conflict in Ukraine has raised questions about the future of the FARA program, as well as other Army helicopter modern, uh, modernization efforts under the umbrella of the broader Future Vertical Lift Initiative. Russian and Ukrainian helicopters uh, fleets have both suffered significant losses, especially at the hands of shoulder-fired surface-to-air missiles, also known as MANPADs. At the same time, the Army first announced the FARA program publicly. The service said that the winning design would be required to have a defensive suite to protect it from modern uh, air defense threats and the capabilities necessary to breach through them. So no matter how the FARA program ultimately proceeds, at least Bell is making steady progress towards finishing the Invictus 360 prototype as it looks to the type's possible first flight somewhere around 2023. Now, I'm going to say something controversial here, and I know Mr. Warner will probably um, send me a WhatsApp when he hears this later. Here we go. But that, that, to me, that um, Invictus helicopter looks like someone's got an Apache AH-64, got a rather heavy amount of um, sandpaper, sandpaper with all the rough edges off, yeah. and then... Yeah. I would say that that's 400 grit, and no mistake. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it looks amazing. It looks absolutely fantastic. It'd be interesting to see how noisy it is, because I know that the uh, the 64s are fairly noisy, because they come flying over us all the time here. But, um, 
Yeah, it uh, look, looks nice. It looks nice. It's grey. It's military. Yeah, they're supposed to be quite stealthy. So I suppose you know, grey mm. is the future. In oh, terms of stealthiness. Speak, speak of the Mister Warner, and he shall appear in the ah, chat room. I see. Yes, indeed. indeed. Uh, uh, I've asked him a question uh, via via John. Actually, um, so we're, uh, we're we're waiting for an answer on. Oh, Sturman says one eighty grit. Sorry. Oh, one eighty grit. Oh, fair enough. No. Good <laughs> <laughs> We stand corrected. Uh, <coughs> indeed. Trust me, Sturman would know the job that he does. Fair enough. Yeah. Right. Okay. All right. Yeah. Next. Anyway, I suppose we better move on to the next one. We've got loads to pack in still on the show this week. And uh, this next one from Armando uh, comes to us uh, from the drive. This is all about uh, a first laser weapon Ooh. for a fighter deri- uh, delivered to the Air Force. This last military story is from thedrive.com also. The U.S. Air Force has received a high-energy laser weapon that can be carried by aircraft in a potted form. This news came today when Lockheed Martin disclosed that at least one of its weapons, which it developed, had been delivered to the U.S. Air Force for test work. This effort falls within the wider framework of still-evolving plans to have laser-armed fighter jets that can engage enemy missiles and possibly other targets, too. A report today from Breaking Defense confirmed that Lockheed Martin delivered its Lance high-energy laser weapon system to the Air Force in February of this year. In this context, Lance stands for Laser Advancements for Next Generation Compact Environments. Gotta love those acronyms. The recipient for the new weapon is the Air Force Research Lab, or AFRL, which is charged with developing and integrating new technologies into the aerospace and cyberspace realms. Tyler Griffin, who is a Lockheed executive, had previously told reporters that Lance is, quote, the smallest, lightest, high-energy laser of its power class and that Lockheed Martin had built to date. Now, indeed, Griffin added that Lance is one-sixth the size of previous directed energy weapons and that Lockheed uh, had produced for the Army. That earlier laser was part of a robust electric laser initiative program that had an output in the 60-kilowatt class. Now, we don't yet know what kind of power the Lance can produce, even though there have been some suggestions that it will likely be below 100 kilowatts. As well as being notably small and light, Lance has reduced power requirements compared to other previous weapon systems, which is a key consideration for a fighter-based laser, especially one that can be mounted within the confines of an external pod. If successful in its defensive mission, it is feasible that Lance could go on to inform the development of more offensive-oriented laser weapons, including ones that could engage enemy aircraft and drones at longer ranges, which would be the case when targeting fast-approaching anti-aircraft missile, where that, whether they were launched from the ground or from enemy aircraft. Now, Lance has been developed under a November 2017 contract that was part of the Air Force's wider Self-Protect High Energy Laser Demonstrator, or SHIELD, that sounds familiar, uh, program, which uh, is something that we, I think, have talked about previously on the show. I must say the pictures that uh, that go with this story, with that laser um, firing laser from underneath beam. the laser, uh, freaking laser beam. Yeah. I know, like I can say, I've sharks. got... I've got um, sharks with laser beams. I know, I've got um, uh, Austin Powers in my head when I was <laughs> Dr. Evil in my head. Sharks with that. laser yeah, beams. Absolutely, it's oh, a load of laser beams from Target all stuck together, apparently. That's what Neil Lamorne is saying. <laughs> ah, 
Ah, that's the future. Uh, there we go. Yes, it's all part of the fun. Yeah, thank you, Armando. A great military segment, as always. Uh, he's been proper on it this week, hasn't he? Because he's been he has been a busy boy. He has. Considering he's a busy boy, he's been a busy boy. He has. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And 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 on on and on that bombshell, I'm not going to repeat for fear of getting it wrong. What John just said in my ears. Uh, <laughs> oh, blimey! Never repeat what John says. No, good blimey. point. Good point. Well made. This will be an 18. Come on, we podcast. are like three minutes away anyway, from when we should normally. So finish. this so, is the next part of the show, and this is the part where you need to listen, guys and girls. It's our our first PTUK summer competition. Whoop, whoop. Insert applause here um so we have got a competition where you can you didn't win. ask for that in the notes by the way I'm otherwise sorry. you could have had, yeah, yeah, I'm you have sorry. to you have to ask for these things <laughs> in advance yeah so uh, we are running a competition and we've got uh, two very nice uh tags to give away on the show for the competition now we're doing a civilian tag and a military tag and these are tags that come from the skin of the uh, aircraft of a military aircraft and a commercial airliner as well and both aircraft have got quite the history at uh, nev uh, as you are um well as you are our ba man what uh, what is the first tag that we're giving away well, this is from a 747-400. Of course, it's a real frequent flyer because over 25 years in its service, this particular aircraft flew 111,086 hours on 13,356 flights, racking up over 55 million miles. The plane first took to the skies in December 1994 and was also delivered to the uh, BA in that uh, month and year in a modified land or livery with British uh, Asia Airways title and tail. It was sold to a lesser on delivery, leased back to British Airways and subleased to British Asia Airways. It was then returned to BA in October 1999 and was eventually repaint repainted into the British Airways current livery. Uh, the aircraft was ferried to St Athen in Wales uh, in September 2020 and permanently retired after a 26-year career. The question is, what was the registration of this aircraft? There is a clue. It sounds as though it really was meant to operate in the civilian environment. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> mm. And uh, our military tag... Uh, which we've got to give away, which is also good, great. Matt's got some pictures of this tag actually to show and some pictures of the aircraft in question. So this military tag is an RAF VC-10. Now, this was registration Zulu Delta 241. Uh, it was ex-Golf Alpha Sierra Golf Mike. Uh, it was a K-4 version of the VC-10. This first flew in 26th of February 1968. Uh, first flew for BOAC. That flew for for six years from 1968 to 1974 uh, then it flew for british airways colors in 1974 through till 1980 uh, became the first jet to land in the seychelles having flown there from london via nairobi in july 1971 in april 1981 it was given the registration zulu delta 241 and flew with the royal air force from 1995 till 2013 uh, Zulu Delta 241 was the longest-serving 
K4 variant of the VC-10 and in 2014 was brought back to life with the Conway engines being reinstalled at Bruntingthorpe and after five years of pleasing the crowds at the Cold War jet days, Zulu Delta 241 had its final run in August 2019 and then it was scrapped in 2022. Now, Matt, you have the pictures there of the aircraft and funnily enough, this aircraft was actually one that me and Nev got the chance to visit and go on board back at the Bruntingthorpe Cold War Jets Day uh, back in, I think it was 2019, we were there when at Nev there. Yeah, and was, you can yeah. see Nev there on board the aircraft, and there's the glorious uh, aircraft tail and the uh, aircraft refueling drogue, or uh, basket there, I should say, and the Conways. I remember those engines were not the quietest of engines oh, at all. Screamers, aren't they? Yes, absolutely. Now, we have a question for you to answer to win the tag uh, from the aircraft in question. Tags on the screen there for those of you watching on YouTube. Uh, you can see the tag there. There's a, it's a limited edition. Only 200 of these tags have been cut from the fuselage skin of this aircraft in question. And the question has been set by Armando for this. So uh, we're going to hand it over to Armando to give you the question that we want to hear the answer to uh, for your chance to win this tag. Hey, everybody out there in PTUK land. Carlos sprung it on me that we were running a competition and one lucky listener is going to receive a key tag made from a military VC-10. So my question to you all is, not many aircraft designations are assigned to two totally different aircraft. In this particular case, one was built by Martin, the other one was built by Douglas. Not the Martin one, the Douglas one. What was it? What was its unique mission? And particularly to the UK, it was flown by a military unit. Which RAF station did they fly out of? Good luck out there. It's pretty obscure. Blimey. (laughs) Even I don't know yet. At all. I have no idea. Absolutely no idea whatsoever. So we are looking for the answer to the two questions then. So a quick one from Nev then, uh, just to repeat that question you had for that aircraft, Nev. Yes, what was the registration, uh, the final registration of the aircraft, uh, the 747-400 that we were talking about? Yeah, so for your answers, if you could email your answers to us on the show, at the uh, well, the details will be at the end of the show, but it's podcast at plaintalkinguk.com. You can email your answers to there. Uh, we're going to uh, let this run for a few weeks, and then we'll probably draw that um, just towards the end of let me go in there july end of august i suppose yeah uh, yeah we'll we'll go for we'll go for some time in august we'll we'll decide what date in august but on the friday we'll do it in august mm. that's to give you a chance to how get are they the getting the entries in. in where's it coming to email yeah emailing again as i said email your answers in to us here to podcast at plaintalkinguk.com that's podcast at plaintalkinguk.com and i will say make sure you listen to exactly what Armando says in his uh, in his question for that two of the answers that we need, make sure you get that in because he will be he will be ticking the boxes with his um, pen to make sure you get all the answers correct. <laughs> and uh, Captain Cruz said that the tag would make uh, nice or go nicely with his mug. Oh right, which mug is that? I don't know. Oh, the, the grey mugs. mugs. Yeah, okay. the grey mugs. Blimey. 
Uh, Neil Lamorne doesn't even understand the question. Fair, yeah. No, I mean, I don't, but I just assumed that was me. I mean, I've listened back to Armando's questions seven or eight times now, and I'm... Okay, good. Uh, Lost. So, <clears throat> hopefully lots of entries will still be sent in. Good yes, thing. hopefully lots of entries will still be sent in. It, so, uh, we will, uh, we'll get all the answers together. All the correct answers will go into uh, Nev's hat, where he is in his studio, and Armando will put the answers uh, for the military que- uh, quiz question in his hat over uh, in his studio. And, uh, as I said, we'll be drawing those in August. So, keep your eyes on the screen. And uh, good luck, everyone. They're great tags. Indeed, indeed. It's uh, caption this time now. Yes, it's caption this time. So every Wednesday we put a picture on social media, on our Facebook page, for you to send your, or to write your wittiest and most comical captions to on the uh, Facebook page. Uh, This week, again, this week we've had quite the response to the picture that we put up there this week on Facebook, it has to be said. And uh, for the benefit of our listeners and the audio podcast, Nev, what does the... uh, picture depict for this week's caption this uh, well yes it's um a, a, a stewardess uh f- hanging on to uh hanging on for dear life a, i think a, <laughs> a door which is open and uh, it looks like the plane is definitely in flight as well and the first officer is uh, hanging out of his uh, dv window there um, probably saying something i would imagine but we'll find out <laughs> because there's lots of um input uh, from the uh, uh, from the competition, indeed. So these, <laughs> here we go. Thanks for the music, Matt. Oh, I didn't expect that at all. Uh, so the first one that comes to us uh, from Steve, who says, uh, "See now, this is why Rick and John, oh John Jester, uh, only fly boxes." Excellent. And uh, uh, Mark says that the new stewardess went a bit overboard during the safety briefing. <laughs> And Bob says Janice is convinced that this is yet another new employee prank that she's being subjected to because she knows only too well that the pilot can see where he's going. Uh, Chris says that after you clean the windscreen from the bird strike, check the oil. (laughs) Uh, Nick... Nick says, and I know which Nick this is, I think we all know which Nick this is, says uh, Captain Al's flatulence reaches epic proportions. Oh dear. Uh, John says uh, Ryanair senior stewardess demonstrates to the new co- cohort of training cabin crew how to adjust the first officer's wing mirror without the need to use air stairs in line with Ryanair's cost-cutting programme. <laughs> I know John likes that one as well. Uh, James says, Engine 2 on. Cabin crew prepare for... Damn it, Joyce, the door is supposed to be secured. <laughs> uh, Gary says that Virginia Atlantic's cabin crew in flight training programme takes off and reaches new heights. And Stuart says, don't forget, they're short on ground staff, so we'll need to wait a little while for the steps to arrive. (laughs) Very, Uh, very, very uh, quite. uh, Yes. Uh, Bill says it is unique in flight entertainment. It would be. Definitely that, yeah. Especially for those who are sitting in seat (laughs) 1D. Is it 1D? Yeah, 1D. Or 1F, if it's on that. 1F, yeah. Um, Bob says. Have you ever sat there, Nev? Sorry. 1F? That doesn't even compute. Bob says, no no matter what, Janice always managed to board the aircraft before rotate. Quite right, absolutely. Yes, well done. Uh, Damien says, does this go to Ibiza? (laughs) (laughs) 
Andrew says, come on, girl, we're late. Uh, Stuart says, proof that blondes don't always have more fun. Wow, okay. (laughs) And David says, oh, bugger, this will ruin my hair. That is true. That will ruin the hair. That will ruin your hair, actually. Yeah, absolutely. It'll need a a firm brushing, certainly. Uh, Dirk S in the chat room says... Uh, So you really believed it can't be opened in flight? (laughs) (laughs) What else have we got? Keep bringing them up, John, and I'll I'll read them up. Richard Adams says, I said doors to manual, not manhandle the doors. quite like that one Miles High says flight attendant going to get more Colombian coffee very important obviously in flight uh, like that one like that one Richard Adams says Betty in the sky without a suitcase uh, oh my word <laughs> love that oh dear uh, any more for any more is that is that a lot I think we're up to I think we're we're up to date there that's uh, there we are that is the caption so that's the caption this so thanks to everyone who uh, who written down some comments this week uh, don't forget to check out Facebook our Facebook page if you don't already follow us on Facebook uh, make sure you check us out Plain Talking UK and click us on there follow us and you'll see on a Wednesday hopefully all being well when I remember to pop a picture up on there for you to leave your comments on and you'll be featured on the live show on a Friday night it's as simple as that so that is where we are going to bring the show to a close this week. It has definitely been a packed show this week. There's no doubt about that. Uh, Nev, social media links, just in case anyone doesn't know where we are in the world of social media. Absolutely. Uh, Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Search, uh, search social media platform for uh, Plain Talking UK. Our WhatsApp number is plus 44 757 2249166. That's plus 44 Email the show at podcast at plaintalkinguk.com and the website is www.plaintalkinguk.com. You can subscribe to our YouTube channel as well and you'll get notifications when we go live and you can help shape the conversation of the show by joining us in the chat room. Just go to youtube.com and search for Plain Talking UK. Uh, you can also, uh, from our website, you can follow us uh, via the uh, Amazon link if you want to do some of your shopping. We get a small referral free uh, fee from them. And also, if you want to become a Patreon donor to the show, you can also do that via the website as well. And that is about all we've got time for. We've, we've run we've run massively over time. It's very unlike us, honestly. Uh, so uh, I hope you have a good uh, trip next week, Nev. All the uh, very much best with your travels, and I hope you. you get hope you get your flight back to at least Norwich, London International yes, Airport. I think getting there is the easy bit. Getting home is going to be the challenging <laughs> part. <definitely. laughs> and fingers crossed, Matt will be back to ninety nine point nine nine percent strength next Friday. I don't think right. we're here next week. Oh, aren't we? Are we not here next week? What's next week? week? I don't know. I get very confused. Oh, it's the week weekend after. Oh, it's the weekend after. My weekend after. Yeah, the week after that uh, that we're both we're both disappeared. That's true. Yes, that's true. Yes. So back next week, hopefully with a full crew. We full crew. Yes, indeed. So that's it then. Have a great weekend, everyone. So from me, Carlos here in my home studio, from Matt in the PTUK studios, and from Nev in his master's, well, master studio over in the sprawling Buckinghamshire mansion. 
Thanks, everyone. Thanks to John, our producer. Have a great weekend and see you all next Friday. Goodbye, everyone.